Welcome to the Prime Talk with your hosts, Dan and James. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to the Grog Empire. Uh, welcome to Grog Talk. I'm James. I'm Dan. Where are we from today? We are Dan? from the Green Dragon Inn. Ah, love that, love that shirt. Beautiful. Thank you. So and why do you have that shirt on? Well, because we're going to be celebrating St. Patrick's Day. That's right, St. Patrick's Day. Oh, uh, there you can go. they see that? We've yes, they can. Guinness. You brought Guinness. I brought Guinness, yeah. and which means we get to use our Apodif Orc right. mugs from a, that we stole from that bar in Aurelian. That's right. I got the version one. You do. You got version two. Yeah, but look at your version. Look, look at the size difference. That's right. <laughs> in America, this would be a small, what I'm holding. That would be. Well, that one viewer said, Dan looks scared of that drink or whatever. It's that's like, right. Because of that mug. Yeah, that's, that was true. That's good. Well, I think we should just uh, start the morning by cracking it open so you can have Oh, the, let's do you it. You can have the bitter beer. Wait, how does this work? This goes to show you how little I know about... Does this go like this? And... Uh, Oh, this is good. This is awesome. Watch. Oh, I look, I know what I'm doing, don't I? No. I don't? That's, that's a way Is to that do it. wrong? What are you talking about? Yeah, that'll work. It's opening. I just don't want to spill everything everywhere. That's fine. Oh, here, you want to do yours? I've already touched yeah. it. It's, it's, oh, look, it's just... Whatever. Okay. That way, this is some easier way to do it. Oh, there it is. I didn't even see that thing on there. That's right. All right, so... That's, this is what we do for the... Uh, they're like, it's too early for this. And so what are we drinking, James? Well, you, oh my gosh, we are drinking. Yeah, it looks like tar. It's it's a it's a fine. Mine is an extra stout. Thank you. <laughs> Look uh, at the head on that. See, I know my lingo, right? That's right. That's a, there's a head on that. That's right. Well, that's because you pour, you pour like a, like a what? Like a novice. You oh, oh how am I supposed to pour? You pour it. Like, yeah, so you don't get as much. I mean, you shut. Oh, you don't want bit. the head because then you've got it all well, over your mustache. Because it'll just. Well, typically it pours over, and then you know oh, they, yeah, they, they, they have it half and half a lot of times too. So. I am a novice. Well, that was the first time you took me to the Apodaf Orc. That's right. Well, salute for us, for us non-Irish. You usually don't have bottles, but that's right. Yeah, if we were, this is the American version Wait, of it. Wait, you want some? Well, you have cheese, too. Oh, we have from, cheese. From Ireland. Ah, we have American, uh, no, no, Irish no. cheese. So it what is. kind of it's cheese it is? Well, I can tell you, it's from Dublin. So this will go nicely Ooh. with my... Uh, Ooh, well, we can't eat that. It fell on your battle no, map. It's, it's disgusting. That's, what? That's what I'm talking about. This battle map looks disgusting. Mm, so that smells good. That's fine. Porters are the best, especially, especially more. Ah, everyone is out. I, I can't even say all the titles that are out. Did you put your, you're going to asphyxiate yourself. What do you mean? Here, hold on. Oh. I, you're like a child. I am like a, well, you know, I've been drinking. This is Kerrygold Dubliner cheese from Ireland. And is it fair to say if we did an Ancestry.com, you would have some Irish? Is that a fair statement? Medina, yes, I've got a lot of stuff going on. A little bit of orc. I'm one sixteenth orc. And I do have some Irish in me. So yeah. how's that cheese? I haven't had I ha oh, let's have it with the beer. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's good. <laughs> you know it's with the lucky charms that I had this morning. Right. And uh, it's a it's a whole bunch of flavor. James, mm -hmm. can I tell you can I admit something? Well I'm a little scared. <laughs> great. Because I smell it, and I'm like, wow. All right, here I go. Mm. Opa. Okay. That's a good stuff. That well, actually, this one's good. It's not 
as bad as I thought it was gonna be. Yeah, there's, I don't know if this is the liquid ashtray or not, but it's pretty good. Okay. It's not like a grape knee high. <laughs> it's not a grape knee high. It's not that good. No, that's a little rough, man. All right. Okay. I like the cheese though. Oh, All right. So, good morning to everyone. Our, um, so many of our dear friends are out there today. No, this is, Dan is not impressed. He's not impressed. And just for people that are listening, we, we were drinking Guinness now, right? So, right. so, it's just some of the folks who are out there. The uh, commander most astonishing scourge of the North, uh, the Chamberlain's most renowned illustriousness baron, irresistible emulator of Cleveland is out. Um... The master, his most august piety, Baron Contentious Lord of Sweden. Um, we've got the Captain General, His Astonishing Highness, is out here. Um, I'm trying. I'm scanning quickly. The master, his most majestic suzerain, Marquise, insurgent of Bruce County, is out there. I think I'm missing someone. If I'm missing you, please, well, I apologize. You know what I think we should do? I think we should to somebody who is online with us now, one of our patrons. Mm -hmm. We should give away Ireland. We should give away Ireland just well, as a no freebie? Yeah, because no one's, no one's taken it, right? Mm. No one's taken it. We have no Irish patrons. That's true. We How don't. many people? So what should I roll? Someone's mm. getting Ireland. Roll a D20. D20. I don't know who's going to get, but we'll, 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 we'll figure, figure it out. out. Roll, then figure it out. All right, yeah. green die. A one. Oh, that's, that's Who's simple. number one? What's the... Who's the first person on? Oh, how are you going to do it? David Thompson. He's got Ireland. He's the first one on the list. Part of the Commonwealth? That's right. All right, David Thompson. Well, I don't know if the Irish would like to be called part of the Commonwealth. And he They'd may... like to be part of the EU, but not part of the Commonwealth, I'm, I'm Appar with... apparently. <laughs> and he can, we're just offering him iron. That he can reject it. <laughs> Maybe he doesn't want it. Well, the uh, Captain General may be claiming. We may have to have a, a oh some kind of, uh, what you call it? Beatdown? <laughs> grog off or something. Grog off. Grog dance party. <laughs> Congratulations there, uh, the Chamberlain, which is good, you know. I, I'm sure he'll want to fly back and forth between Ireland and Australia during this time frame. Right. So the cheese is good. Okay. The, the beer is good. This is actually okay. better. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty happy. Okay. All right. You may so, want to, you may want to slow down there. Oh no, I'm, I'm I'll probably drink yours. <laughs> show, show. The, the more you drink, the better it gets. Anyway, so again, thanks to our scourge of the north. Yes. Uh, we are giving away live this uh, model from Deities and Demigods, which we're going to have Jim Ward on April 4th, assuming we're still alive. Did you just hit the camera? I just hit the camera. It's the drinking. <laughs> did it move? <laughs> yes, it did, but that's fine. Is it okay? Yes. Maybe it's better. Literally, you had one sip. You're cut off. <laughs> All right, so we're, we're, getting, we're giving this away. So here's how it's going to work. Uh... Everyone, depending, uh, if you are a patron, again, thank you so much to our patrons. This is, uh, they're the ones who make this happen, so we appreciate those. Uh, thank you. So, Dan, I, I've come up with a very uh, Byzantine way to determine who is going to win this. So, Dan is going to pick a tile from, uh, from this bag and then roll a dice. That's how we'll determine what it is. So, why don't we do this? You roll a D6. We're using our emerald dice. A D6. Don't touch my dice. Don't touch your dice. Get your hands off my dice. Okay. Well, actually, I think they're my <laughs> dice. But that's. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Actually, yeah. Just here. Yeah. Here we go. So you get to. You get to pick, and this will tell us. I didn't number them all. Don't look. 
You got to look away. They're different I don't even. Col- I don't even know like what color. I, who, I don't even know who's what color. That's anyway. right. Okay. Right, so I'm picking one tile. Yeah, that's right. All right. What do I do now? You pick. Let me show it to everyone. It's a green tile. All right. Roll a d4. You don't get the. It's a green tile. Yeah. No. Now you roll a d4. That's the way it's supposed to be, though. It's St. Patrick's. Day. I know that worked out. Okay. Three. Three. Well, guess who won it? It is his day today. David Thompson, the Chamberlain? The Chamberlain is the winner. He's cleaning up. Congratulations, wow. David. You are the winner to this, and we will I'll need your address, and I will be sending it he, to uh, David uh, through Pony Express. He doesn't have to pick it up? I should, that's right. <laughs> well, he, he'll just need to give us, what did we say, was it $99.95 for shipping and handling? Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, again, uh, and when you get it, if you take a picture of it somewhere displayed, that would be awesome. And again, thank you to Vic Dorso, who will be on later to do the hex crawl. Um, for he is the one who modeled this, so yep. excellent. We now know that David is the winner, and we did it live here. Uh, again, thanks to all patrons, and this is not the only giveaway. I think if you've uh, heard, um, uh, Vic is working on some additional models. We thank him for that, but also we are planning to uh, get some adventures from Carlos from Castle Entertainment. We talked about and giving them away. So this is something we really like to do. It's a lot of fun. So if you become a patron, uh, if you're a patron at the time it happens, then is it the illegal deities version? Was a question from Netflix. I'm not sure. I think this the t- I think this is legal regardless of the uh, version of it because it's on the cover. But um, you know th- that would be super cool for like another one that he would put like uh, Cthulhu uh, mm-hmm. markings on here somewhere, like a you know one of the Shlogos or something on there. And just to kind of freak people out, so it would be copyright. And now I'm going to start burping. Awesome. Um, anyhow, Cthulhu, yes, I was trying to blather that out. Uh, okay, so what else we got? We talked about, so thank you again to our patrons. If you're a patron at the time we do a uh, contest, you, you get to be a tile on here. Isn't that exciting? Yeah, very exciting. All right. So, uh, Swedish Challenge, again, we're doing pretty well. We're, we're actually number 47 in Japan, so thank you to uh, Menyon and his crew out there who's for helping us for that. Um, the way you could help us is if you uh, leave right, uh, 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 an iTunes review or um, you know, share it online. That would be helpful. All right. Do we want to talk about the effects of alcohol in D&D? Yes. Okay, because... It's St. Patrick's Day celebration. Uh, they're known for their fine Guinness. And so we thought we'd talk a little bit about effects of alcohol. I agree. I'd like more beer for James, but I can't drink his. He's touched it now. So, so page 82 of the DMG talks about effects of alcohol and drugs. And the first thing, and maybe some of our viewers can tell us, because there's different sorts of alcohol. And I was sort of wondered in the player's handbook why you would... Is anyone actually buying alcohol? See, you have to be a real role player here. Mm-hmm. Right, because in the equipment list, there is alcohol. Correct. And there's different types of alcohol, and some are more expensive, of course. And so the question becomes, why are oh, you- Oh, the Chamberlain's on. Hey, uh, hello, sir, Were you, have you been on the whole time? Did you know you are now the- uh... well, It's being offered to him, he has to accept it. Oh, that's right, you, you have been offered Ireland. We, we did a random, uh, we brought in the, the Council of the Grog. Mm-hmm. And we decreed that through random selection that you, uh, the Chamberlain from Australia, have the opportunity to claim Ireland. Though you have to fly there. Uh, mm-hmm. Good luck getting there at this time. But if you get there, it's and yours. you have to, fl- yeah. So, do you, so, so the question is, do you want? Do you accept that Ireland? Okay. Yes. And also, 
congratulations, you are the winner of the model. We picked that before, so you, I, spoiler alert, you uh, won this, so congratulations again. It was your lucky day. You should not be, you should not watch us more often. <laughs> That's right, good stuff happens. Good stuff, good stuff happens. happens when you don't watch Grog Talk. Right, yes. So here's the question. Can you, not, can you name the four types of alcohol listed under provisions on page 36 of the player's handbook? Ale. Correct, that wine. is one. Huh? Correct, Ale, wine. wine. Oh, actually, there's two types of wine, but I'm not gonna mess with that, okay? There's, there's good wine and there's watered wine, but okay, yes, that's counted as one, so we got two out of four. Mead? Three out of four. Uh, uh, Are you gonna kick yourself? Some kind of liquor, it's like a... Uh, no, it's, it's crazy easy. Oh, beer. Correct. There you go. Those are the four. Can you say, do you know what's the most expensive? The, I would say the good wine is the most expensive. You are correct. The good wine, then the good wine, then next. Oh, I have to do it in order? What's the cheapest? What is this, a, a, what's a the sobri cheapest? Sobriety test? Yes, the, what's, what's the cheapest? Uh, I would say the ale. A beer. Oh, the beer. Beer is five copper pieces. A pint of ale is uh, one silver piece. Mead, a pint of mead is five silver pieces. I know it's fascinating. And a pint of watered wine is five silver pieces. Now, here's a question. Why are you buying it? So you're, you're, you're getting provisions for your character. Mm -hmm. why, are you, why are you buying ale? Well, the, I think, A, because it's part of the role-playing, you know, Conan drinking hard. But, uh, so, and by the way, we just heard that uh, it's the Chamberlain's birthday. So this worked out perfectly. Wow. It's his birthday today. Mm -hmm. He was the big winner. Yes. And we were drinking in honor of uh, David Thompson. So yes. there you go. Acquiring Ireland. Right. Acquiring Ireland. And he wants the Holy See as well, which I don't know if we, can we give the Vatican away? Isn't that Whoa. Right? No, I don't think that, that's that. That's Is the, that Ireland the and episode. the Holy See? That's the Jim Ward That's episode. how our embassies work. Mm, I don't know. But we've been drinking the whole time. Well, I've been drinking. You had a sip. I had a sip. You too. Okay. So why would you do it? What my understanding is water is sketchy. And so people drank uh -oh. wine, watered down wine, just so that you didn't have the dysentery and all the other issues. Oh, so you could, you could uh, so people are drinking water. Should you be doing disease rolls? Yes. Wow. That Absolutely. sounds like, a, that's a fun game. Everyone roll. Yeah, so I guess that's what you should be doing. That's right. You should, it, well, it says this, parasitic infection. Is this parasitic infection? Yeah, it's the next one over, isn't it? Where's the disease? Uh, I think it's, it's, it's is it earlier. Yeah, it's before. Are you kidding me? That's one of the first things Gary thought of. Yes. So yes, and we, now we have two people from Adelaide. Oh, Method yeah. is from Adelaide as well. So we have two. They need to start a, a Grognard's Guild Southern Australia. Yes. Chapter, mm -hmm. very good, but yes, there's you could get a, a parasite. So that's why in the ancient world they would drink water. They better water. take care of Tom Hanks. Yes, as with poisons, this system does not attempt to treatment of a subject to ask of his purpose. Yes, thank you. So how often? So contracting. So each. Oh, now you went to disease. Well, I didn't know you said drinking water. Yes. I didn't know if parasitic infection. I mean, you're just rolling. Well, it talks about in if you in in the city long enough under right. that you have a chance. It depends how long. Pol polluted water, right, is well, plus five percent. Well, that's the idea. Polluted oh, okay. water is that way. Oh, all right. So, in other words, you only would, be drinking wine and right. So you drink the mead. watered down wine because it has the you know antiseptic quality, but you don't get too schwingald from it. Oh, so the alcohol is killing the parasite. Whatever. That's right. Okay. Exactly. 
Do you really know what you're talking about? Yeah, I think I I think I've stayed at a Holiday Inn. So okay, yes. Express. Yeah, okay. All right. So if you've been drinking, you have certain effects on you. Yeah. So the problem is it doesn't say how how you. Well, let's talk about what the states are before we talk about the challenge of how it's written. Is that the grog line? No. <laughs> what was that? That's that's a, not bound. That was a different beep that it made than normally. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Just move on. Okay. That, there's a date or something? You're missing out on something? Yes. Right? Okay. I dare, dare I? I don't even want to know. All right. So there's three levels of intoxication that it discusses. Slight, moderate, and great. And beyond great, you become comatose and will sleep for seven to nine hours, which right. I think that is the effect that people are having if they listen to... And does anything good does anything good happen from drinking? I mean, usually drinking. My experience with drinking in D and D is that you go to the bar and you want to drink, and you just find it entertaining that you're getting drunk, right? right? And and so then you know you end up in a fight or something like that, right? I mean, does it have any useful purpose? I don't think it almost ever does, in my opinion. I know you you worshipped a deity, right? That you actually. You Dionysus. had to drink, and I had forgotten about this chart. We were using one, I think, from we, we, Dungeoneer Magazine. Yes, we did, but I also tried to use this one. Oh, okay. We, we made up a random thing, because the problem with this chart, so it has slight, moderate, and great, and typically it's not good. If you were if you were right. playing as a power gamer, and I'm not using that as a disparagement, right. but if you're role-playing, it's kind of fun, because you become more brave, You uh, your morale goes up, so you want to get your... Uh, so morale's only NPC. Yeah, the higher links. So that doesn't matter, right? Yeah, so, and your bravery. So and really, your bravery doesn't really matter because you're playing the character yourself anyway. Right. But it does help with your hit points. It does, when you hit moderate. Right. But you're, oh my gosh, I mean, <laughs> to have any real effect on hit points is that great. And at that point, you're minus six on intelligence, minus seven was minus five on dex. So all, for all you know, your AC is taking a hit. Your charisma's down four. Your attack dice. So attack dice is minus five. So that means if I'm a fifth level fighter, right. I drop down to like a zero level fighter. Is that what that's saying? Yep. Melee and missile attacks are lowered accordingly to the penalty shown. Note that opponent saving throws versus magic attacks made by intoxicated character raised by the same no. number. Just terrible. There's really nothing, other than the hit points, there's really nothing very good about intoxication. It's funny. Other than that. Yeah. And Intoxication kills characters. Lots of things kill characters. Don't let your don't let your your fellow player characters see, drink and melee. See now, Cyber Heston has said, and um, he's he's mentioning that in the Swedish translation of the DMG, they have a table term how much a person of various con scores and weights needs to drink before the levels, oh. and that's what's missing. That's he's exactly right. That's he's what's right. missing. He is right in. And by the way, he is the master, his most august piety, baron, contentious lord of Sweden. That's right. That is the problem, is that it just tells, it doesn't tell you when you become slight, when you become moderate, when you become great. That's absolutely correct. And, and as I mentioned, I think Dungeoneer had it. <laughs> they're, they're divvying up the continent of Australia now. That's the, oh, my gosh. This is, this is hilarious. This is very... So, hey, so... Uh, Cyber Heston, aka Martin, do you have? Do you have a? Can you send that to InfoGrogCon? Obviously, the translated version that would be super helpful because we. I was playing a, a cleric of Dionysus. Though now it'll be a, a 
the cleric of Aphrodite. Oh, Dionysus. And um, yeah. as part of my ritual. Paladin of Paladin. Oh, excuse me, Paladin of, of, of Aphrodite. Aphrodite. Uh, I, I was drinking and we would just make, I, I basically did a con check to figure out, uh, to see if I was at some level of intoxication. Right. And then, so if I failed, I would be slight. And if, if as I prayed some more, AKA drank, I'd roll. If I failed again, I would go higher. And well, that's right. Now that is significant because if you have to drink, then that could cause you real issues then. So there you've got a character who has to drink that is affecting you. Now that could be a lot of fun, right? Oh, he's got a translation. I'm sorry. Yes, it could. It could totally could, wreck you. Because that's part of your game. Then you're right. required to drink. You, right. So you were drinking. So you were you were Dionysus. Yes. Was the and, and what right. did you have to do? You had to drink. I didn't have to. I just added to it. That now makes the, sense. Now the green man from right. um, Pelinor from Pelinor says basically you should you can't you, all your rituals you're supposed to be three right. sheets to the wind. <laughs> right. Right. So then that okay. The so link then. is above. Okay, I'll look through it later. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, uh, Martin. I just didn't see over there. Now, what's interesting is this also talks. Thank about, you. This also talks about the effects of narcotics and other similar drugs. So right. you know this famous say black lotus. You know the lotus that we have from the right. Conan. Which and that's also from the Halls of Tizen Thane. Exactly. There's black lotus. Now there was. If I some, just keep saying Halls of Tizen Thane. Eventually, I will get right. it. Right. See what a great adventure it was. So there was, and that had some very specific effects, though. But I guess so for drugs too, you would use this also. So it's not just, so it's not just intoxication from alcohol. Correct. So if you're using drugs, you would need to fix this as well. But right. But so, and as I mentioned, if you look at the Dungeoneer magazine, right, there was a uh, now the part that the part that you. They talk about stimulants here, which is very interesting. Yes, the stimulants rule. So is this like a cup of coffee? Well, apparently, mild stimulants will have no effect. Strong stimulants have 5% chance per application of lowering the character's constitution by one point. This is permanent. So what is this? So what kind of stimulants? Gary doesn't tell us what stimulants he's talking about. So this is things to counteract right, the effect of, like, look, what do we think? Coffee. I right, know, or, or, you know, energy drink or something like that. Yeah, some kind of, co or cocaine or... Haste. <laughs> haste. Well, it would be haste would not be a magical one, yeah. Oh, and you got to roll for, uh, you could die, apparently, now with haste, right? The aging. Uh, that's right. All right, you got to roll for a roll. That's right. A system shock. Oh, did you see that? You saw that. Of course, right? I, yeah, I, I chimed in. I think you got to roll. I think you do. It's so, uh, the, the, yeah, but I'm confused because he doesn't actually say what stimulants you're talking. About. It's just so any stimulants you can think of, but he doesn't say. I, I think the alcohol section was not fleshed out very well. Um, it, it wasn't, and that's what that's what they were talking about online. Is that the part you don't have is. What's the chance? Right. How, how do you move from stage right. to stage? Right. So we we did a con check, but uh, Cyber Heston saying you know that unfortunately they use kilograms, which again I don't know what that is. That's right. that's that weird right. nonsense. We right. don't do that here. Here. I mean, in, it makes more sense to have everything be like what within hundreds. I mean, it makes much more sense to be like twelve inches is a foot. Why would you do everything based on tens and right. hundreds? That yeah. seems weird. It should be and, be and, and stones and farlongs stones. and <laughs> yes. Yes. you know things that you have around. Mm -hmm. No one has a meter around there. Mm -hmm. Now today, right, six feet. That's so much easier than saying you know one point six meters or mm -hmm. whatever it is. In like right now, I'm violating the social distancing. You are. In fact, I thought about when we started the show, I was going to be off camera. You should. Because yeah. you are within whatever At inches. Least. Exactly. Well, if it was in D and D terms, so six feet would be what six inches. No, it would be. You need to be. say six. In oh, that's sixty. Oh, oh I'm sorry. I hate that inches rule. All right. 
we're within five feet, so I could attack you. That's ten feet, I could attack. That's true. You, you, can attack you don't me. have to charge. Uh, po- you can do poison saves. That's good. Two meters. Is it exactly two meters? Six feet? It's kind of off. What's the conversion? Five feet is 150 centimeters. Oh, look at this math. See, as soon as you mention some math, they're on it. Oh, they're all excited. They are. Okay. And uh, and yes, I would love to do footnotes and asterisks. People keep asking. We really need to do that. We we. What? How's the gnome realms going? Not very good. I'm kind of. I got to get working on the. Uh, I didn't realize you were. So I was going to do the guide. Uh, uh, to burrowing mammals. Oh, that's. I good. didn't realize there's so the many. Field guide? The field guide to burrowing mammals. <laughs> I didn't realize there's so many. <laughs> I thought it'd be like six. Uh oh. There's like twenty-eight. One yard's about a meter. There we go. Look at that. Okay. This is awesome. See, this is, this is why we stick with our. This is why Americans are blissfully ignorant because we don't have time for this. They're arguing how many meters, how many centimeters are in the thing. Six feet. All right. Learn our way. Right. Yes, I know you have to have two sets of tools now, English and metric, because of us Americans. Too bad. That's how we are. Right. Okay, are we... <laughs> are we... They're just... <laughs> math is fun here on... Math and drinking. Go ahead. I'm sorry. All right. Are we, so, all right. So, are, are anything more on... Uh, out intoxication? Here? Intoxication. No. I think everyone, there's consensus that I should drink more. Okay, for our St. Patrick's Day extravaganza, where we celebrate the Irish... We are having a guest who's not Irish. Not, not Irish, not one bit. And we've been drinking Guinness and uh, having a good time. So, uh, Dan, why don't you introduce our guest? Yes, okay. And our guest does have a somewhat of a connection to Ireland, which we will talk about. So, our guest today, we're very happy to have Dave Whiteland on the show. So, uh, Dave is the author of what I think is, if you're going to have a list of, say, the five best D&D adventures you've probably not heard about, this adventure that he wrote. And I'm, 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 In an I'm, Irish magazine? Are we, are we qualifying it that much? Yes. Or just, okay. Yes. Oh, yeah. No, no, we're not qualifying that okay. much. Yeah, what are the five best adventures in an Irish magazine that you've never heard of? <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay, fair enough. Well, and the, and the only reason we say that, Dave, just real quick, is um, we, we, we've been, since we started, there's these uh, charts that say how our podcast is doing. And like we were number eight at one point in Finland. And, and of course we go, we must be the number eight podcast of D&D with hosts named Dan and James. Right. That's the only way that makes sense. But you're clearly not in the same boat. And so, <laughs> and so Dave is the author of an adventure called The Beholder Contracts from issue number three of Fantasy Chronicles, which was, wait for it, wait for it, published out of Ireland though Dave is not, is not Irish, but it is, it's a wonderful adventure, it really is, and uh, it's from 1986, and so we'll talk all about the backstory of the adventure, but so that's who Dave Whiteland is, and so thank you, Dave, so much for all these years later agreeing to come it on. It is great. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be on any list which is qualified by that you haven't heard of. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I, I'm on many such lists, actually. That's, that's the world I live in, and I'm happy with that. Well, we're going we're to we're try to change that a little bit, right? So that, that... Well, I'm not, I'm not sure that you should, of course, because um, the mainstream, right, the world of the mainstream has gone. And in a way, that's what's so interesting about D&D and the old school happening is because D&D, those of us who were super old were in it before it was mainstream. And actually being part of something nobody's heard of is fine. It's fine. And what happens when everybody's heard of it, what happens? You get a um, syndicated cartoon animation made out of you, and that's the end of it. So um, that's what 
arguably Dungeons and Dragons was best when people hadn't heard of it. That's and, and and why don't we talk about those times when no one had heard of it? So before we get to your adventure, um, yeah. and, you know, and so where are you? You're in England, right? And, yeah, yeah. And so maybe. So I, I got quite serious quite quickly. Then I was on, on message right about the D and D story, but I'm a classic example, I think, of a computer programmer, because in the early days of which I belonged, it, the triumvirate of Dungeons and Dragons, heavy rock, and programming was a very common combination. If you met another programmer, the the likelihood that those things were going to be ticked off was very high, and for good reasons. I think it's good that that has changed, but nonetheless, that was all kind of part of the early days. And I started playing maybe around about seventy four. Oh, seventy four is a really great time at D and D because people had it's it's on the grapevine but it is not mainstream, uh, certainly not in the UK. Um, and uh, so my first set was the Blue Book, uh, where which went up to levels one and three, and every damage did 1d6. Right. So there was no difference for weapons. So it, was a, a, it really was a basic mechanism for the storytelling, which is how I came into it. And uh, I was introduced to it by a teacher at the... War Games Club at school. And I think that's, again, quite another common route in the early days. So we came from tabletop historic uh, wargaming into what appeared to be skirmishing rules where you only had one person. That was almost my introduction to D&D. So the role-playing aspect of it was the consequence of reducing the number of unit, the number of individuals represented by a figure to one. And that's yeah, it's quite an abstract way of looking at it, but that was my introduction to it. And started playing... Uh, and so I played through the 70s into the 80s, which in in which time, of course, which is perfect for first. That's why I'm first edition AD&D, because actually I never played anything later. So um, uh, for me, AD&D is first edition, and it was the obvious, the advanced was precisely because it was solving the problem that the basic rule book that we were familiar with really wasn't very representative and the idea that you did 1d6 damage regardless of which, which weapon is a great example of how actually it's not um it wasn't really simulation it was really just a framework for the storytelling and then the rules became more complicated as advance came out and that then it, that's the start of a complex hobby that's that's how i think it, it came about for me and um and somewhere in that in the way that happened i ran the games rather than played them so i i was a dm and that has kind of reflected later on that I clearly have a interest in what we would loosely call creative writing. And I think AD&D was a great place for people like me to discover that. And, and do you remember your first game? Game in D&D? &D. Game in D&D. Well, I, I DM'd it before I played it. Really? So I got the hmm. I got the rule book. Read it, got my friends around, said, "Ah, so I, yeah, there's a thing missing in the story. Of course, there's a thing missing, which is caverns." So uh, I played a game which the teacher at the War Games Club introduced us to, which he called Caverns. And uh, I've got a website where actually I've put this up now. But um, what it basically was was a tessellating square tile game where you explore a dungeon and you've got a character and you're looking for a quest. And it turns out, 25 years later, I found out this game was actually a homemade version of Mystic Wood and mm, Sorcerer's Cave. Hmm. both by the same game designer, which I think is Peter O'Donnelly. Um, so we, my first introduction to uh, dungeon crawling 
was in a kind of board game version that really simplified the concept. I was already into Lord of the Rings. That's kind of inevitable if you're going to be a heavy rock programmer, right? Um, so that was going on. And again, 70s is still very popular, a thing to be, a thing to be into. Um, people then understood it was a book, not a film. Can you imagine how strange it is now to be amongst young people who don't have that introduction to it? Um, uh, and so the so I'd done my dungeon crawling in caverns and then got the rule book. And I remember a friend explaining to me how the games worked. And so the first session we had, we got together and rolled characters up. And I'd written a little adventure called Muggins Mound about a wizard who lived in caves under a mound, which, um, uh, as it happens, doesn't look uh, a million miles unlike Oxford Castle Mound, if you ever go to Oxford now. So that was odd to discover in the real world later on. There was a place like I'd written. So uh, I ran a little basic campaign, and that was the start of it. And then we went from that on to AD&D, and I ran that campaign, uh, campaign. So I DM'd for quite a long time before I actually played. And that play was when we handed over, another player took over, and we ran another campaign, so I switched to being a player. But um, basically, I don't really regard myself as a player. I was always a DM. Okay. Well, Dan doesn't consider himself a player. No, <laughs> I'm a very, I'm very poor at both. But so, so where were you at this stage in your life when you started playing? Were you high school, it's, college? It's hard. It's my boyish good looks. It's hard to work that out, isn't it? <laughs> so um, this would be the start of what I would call big school, which is 11 years old and the start of uh, our secondary education. So, um, which in a comprehensive school where I was into my football, football soccer. <laughs> going to translate. <laughs> we get it. But it turns out it was kind of this nerdy bunch. We ended up with 10, um, 10 of us playing. And I look back on it now and understand that these were, you know, there's a there's an intellectual appeal to Dungeons & Dragons as well. Um, and it was quite, quite a, it was a comprehensive school, so it was quite a range of people at that school. Um, and it, I look back on it now and realize our parents were probably quite keen we'd fallen into this group because there were other groups that were doing less, what can I say? Less safe activities right. for their for parents to see their children involved in, and of course it turned into a weekend. Uh, we'd meet at the weekend and play day longs like you did, um, and it was baffling to people who hadn't who didn't understand the game how we could play the same game for so long in periods of such long time at a, at a go as well. And so this was from basically age age twelve upwards. I was playing. Yeah, see, I think what parents didn't realize was that these other more sinful activities were oftentimes less time consuming. Right, right. D and D. I mean, it's, it's obsessive. I mean, I mean, so many people talk about how they weren't doing their studying. Right, we didn't study. Exactly. We were smart. Well, I, so if yeah, so if you're happy to just bang on about Dungeons and Dragons rather than uh, as a concept, I genuinely feel it saved my education, and I, I cannot be alone in that. And that was because. I was um, uh, a bright kid, broken family, distractions going on at home. I wasn't really into school, but I could be absolutely compulsive, uh, compulsively absorbed in a thing which attracted my attention. And D&D covered a lot of things. And in fact, there's a, another good reason why I think first edition AD&D was the best one, which you, nobody may have pointed out to you again, uh, before. But I subsequently had a career which has included being an illustrator and a oh. cartoonist. And um, I did uh, do drawings where, as part of Dungeons & Dragons. And that, to me, is obvious. And the reason it's obvious is I'm looking down here because I'm going to pick up one of the rule books. Do you have a, a, a sting that you play? Like, is there some music, background music when I do something like this? Oh, right? da, 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 but, that's, right. that's the best you get. Exactly. 
I remember distinctly this was wow. the best what Christmas is... present. Oh. The best Christmas present I got. You is got the soft cover. You got the soft cover that they published in uh, England, right? Talking about this is Dungeons and Dragons. Whoa! So we <laughs> no, didn't have that we don't have that. We have the hardcover. That's right. Yeah. That was only in yeah. England, I believe, right? Well, we looked in White Dwarf because we, you know, as Dan and I said back in the day, we were not. We were so self-absorbed. We just assumed, you know, TSR America. We start. We've been reading White Dwarf. It's by the way, it's March of 1980. For those who don't know, we're, we're celebrating we're 1980. 40, 40 years. So ago. we're going through each of the White Dwarfs from that time period, which is February March. Mm-hmm. And, right. and we did Jan, uh, December, January, and we saw that you could buy soft cover copies of the game, which we were like, what is this soft copy thing? That's crazy. So yeah. that, that, there it is, live in the flesh. We'll need his address before yes. he signs yes. off. Well, I think he heard when we spoke to Daniel Collerton <laughs> that we wanted his address so we could. Yeah, and just to let you know, I don't know if you're aware, that you're, you're not the only person that's had this experience. So Daniel Collerton, who wrote Aurelian in White Dwarf Magazine, we, yep. we, we, we found him yep. too. And so 30 years or 35 years yeah. later. He, yeah, no, I, I said, what, what a lovely chap he, he is as well, just watching your podcast on that. But I also did see that you pointed out that you'd found out where he lived yes. and you were onto that. So <laughs> I've already have guards. I already have guards posted on the door. Right. I'm well, on to you. Well, we still can go to your country at this point. We just so. can't get back. Well, I know. I know. <laughs> yes. So what happened there, you won't have, yeah, we're not doing politics, but British Airways is grateful for the extra custom that your president accidentally gave them because all the European airlines got shut down and British Airways have just mopped up all oh, their customers yeah. on the We are cousins. U.S. cousins. So that's, what oh, that's we right. We can get back still. Nate, they're talking about banning right. England, but we currently you can still get back. Or so it may just be better if you don't want your house invaded, just to send all yeah. that stuff over now. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think I mentioned to you, I actually took all my old white dwarfs, wandered into a games workshop, and handed them over for free to the guy at the desk, and said, "I think you might be interested wow. in these." Yeah. Yeah. We're. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, and had I known, I could have sent them over to you piece by piece and kept you, strung you along a bit. But um, That's right. um, so what Look I want that. to point out in in this is when I was so excited to get this, I remember being told off at Christmas for looking at it instead of watching other people open their presents. Yeah, right. Because it's quite a strict family. But inside, as you will be familiar, inside the rule books were black and white ink drawings. And particularly when it comes to things like Monster Manual, and this is the, the oh look, a soft cover Monster Manual. Oh, oh, geek- wow, that's crazy. <laughs> but it's like fire. Record, it's not, I've never thought about this before, but there isn't a soft back one of these. Oh. Yeah, I have to look, up, I in, know. I have to look up in White Dwarf. Yeah, we don't know. We just learned about these recently. That's right. It's like fire. <laughs> you, you, I'd say you people need to get out more, but clearly I need to get out more as well. Now is um, the time like, not like to get out. There's hardcover? There's hardcover monster manuals? What? Where do I get these? America, so, buddy. The, the thing about this that I want to point out to you that's super interesting is that it was very richly illustrated. Oh, yeah. But it was yeah. fundamentally by three different illustrators. And broadly speaking, and I'm going to cause slight offense here, but it's opinion and artist subjective. Broadly speaking, one of those illustrators was really good. One was okay and one was not so okay. So you get, and the one who was really good was um, David Trampier, mm-hmm. who actually was also drawing Wormy, as it happens. And um, uh, there's, a, there's a sting to the end of this tale. But anyway, the point is, as a youngster, as a child, looking at these rule books, getting into this world of Dungeons and Dragons, which was all happening in our head, um, because largely it was supported by written fiction, things like Lord of the Rings, because we didn't have the film, um, or... Of course, we had films, but not. We had the, we had the cartoon that came out. What exactly. was that? Seventy-seven, yeah. something like that. 
that Fritz Lieber was an influence as well. But these things are happening in our heads, and then you see these illustrations. And the, here's the thing: some of these illustrations are not very good. So what that meant was, it's the seventies, it's punk. As a kid, you honestly believe you could do stuff as good as the real thing, right? So that encouraged me to draw. And I do think that these days, and I look at the quality and the art direction on TSR's productions and the rule books now and things like Magic the Gathering, things like, which I don't play, but I look at the artwork. Um, I don't think that happens now. I don't think children look at this and think, I can do this. I think the separation that they have from their actual involvement is very different. So when I started, when I say it saved my education, I mean it because it, it worked on so many levels. Not only did it interest me in research and maths, and there was a reason to understand numbers because of the rule books, but also even the art and looking at drawing and how things worked and you look at pictures of armor to figure out how to draw armor stuff like that and i wonder i wonder if that happens in the same way now because of the high quality of art direction that goes into these immensely um commercial products it's got it's these ones particularly monster manual some of these drawings some of the drawings in here are frankly quite awful which is great because you honestly believe you could do them as well so um so with that in mind um they, there's a picture in here this one which I'm, you might be familiar with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This, this is by David Trampier, the same guy who did Wormy. And I've got a copy of that on my wall in my little flat. I have a corridor in my flat. So I was quite excited as an old person. I bought my flat quite late to actually put a picture up that I remember looking at for ages as a kid, have a picture of, of an adventure happening in a corridor in my own corridor, but also to remind me the staggering influence that the artwork in these work had on me, not because it, David Trampier was what I aspired to, but the fact that some of the other drawings weren't very good encouraged me to learn dip and scratch ink art and do my own drawings. And that was, um, that was a thing that happened as part of my D&D, that is that it was visually creative as well as uh, uh, the written word. So I, 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 that's a big thing. So were you doing artwork when, when you wrote an adventure? For your group, were you doing artwork? So were you almost always sort of creating your own modules? Sometimes, pretty much. And I've got, I've got here because you technically the only reason I'm here is because of Beholder Contracts. That that was the manuscript that I did to send to the. Um, we got it too. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you can see there were drawings in that, like there would have been a module. And I would never do this now, but as a youngster. I, you know, that, that felt like that's the kind of thing you would expect to see, right? Because there were ink drawings in the rule books. So that the part of the point is that the fact that the drawings weren't very good um, didn't matter because actually they weren't very good in the Monster Manual either. Right. And I think that has changed. So it was part of the kind of punk feeling of the fact that this was a thing of, it, of the 70s. When it gets mainstream, when the cartoon comes out, by then the hobby is dying in that way and has become something else. Not a bad thing. But it definitely changed to, to me and, and because of that aspect of it. Well, and I think you bring up a great point, Dave. And, and even, you know, I started a little bit later. Um, and for us, at least for me, I can't speak for Dan, but it, the idea of making kind of a deal, do-it-yourself was almost beyond the realm. A, I couldn't draw, but B, it, was, it wasn't really conceived. And, you know, the idea of fanzines and all these other things if it wasn't a TSR product, right. it wasn't legitimate. And, and, and that definitely has influenced most of my, you know, up through the 80s. And then now that we've come back into the hobby, that's changed. But for that time, it really was. So you were right that probably for a lot of folks, if you didn't hit that golden period, people who came before 1980 or when it was really codified and the production quality got to a certain level, 
that it almost was, you you only could be a consumer. You couldn't be a participant yep. of it. And I yep. think that's changed in some ways, I think, but the advantage that we have now as a society <clears throat> is if you do have talent, there's much more resources. You know, you have more examples of art. There's YouTube videos. I'm, you know, if I want to do that style, I yep. you can you you could uh, get to that. And the the desktop publishing is a lot cheaper. So you know, I'm into music. Um, you know, I could never have an album that would sound like Led Zeppelin. I could do the Ramones, but I could never gonna get that sound because the you know the million dollar studio. Now with a few thousand dollars, or even less, you could produce an album. It, it, it somewhat levels the playing field, but in many ways, the bar is so high now, many people just go, that's too much of a hassle. And my, my kids are like, eh, that's a lot of work. Yeah. So I, I, do, I do think that they see, uh, they see that the, the encouragement to try is you are deterred if the level that you're coming in at is already so professional. And I, I, I do think that the, the, the do-it-yourself aspect of it was a great thing about D&D then. There are lots of things which probably got a lot better, uh, and it's it's tedious for a curmudgeonly old person to say it was better in the early days. But for this particular reason, I do think there was a punk, a punk do-it-yourself aspect to it to the early days, which, of course, the uh, magazines were trading on as well. And that, that, that is exactly why I had the ludicrous confidence to write scenarios and send them in. Yeah, because in those days, there was nothing to deter you. Yeah, and Dave, maybe you could talk a little bit about uh, the influence White Dwarf Magazine and Steve Jackson. Because yeah. over in the States, for us, it was all about Dragon Magazine and Gary Gygax. Yep. And so I, I'd love to hear about my, my sense is that those two guys, who a lot of us over here in the States aren't familiar with, what, what a huge impact they had on you guys over there. Yeah, and the so for us, when we got into it, um, the nearest shop... Was and this is a common story for people in the early days, right? Because the nearest shop was in Brighton, which was 25 miles away from where we lived. So occasionally, we would go. One of the parents, seems to remember, it was Steve's dad, would normally drive us over to Brighton. And what an adventure that was! Because it's this business about suddenly being with this this thing that is a, a proper minority. Like we say, people don't really know about it. To suddenly meet other people. And to find a shop, I mean, a shop is, in a way, it's almost like the world, the adult world, confirming that the thing you're doing exists. So, and the, the just the, play, it's hard for people to appreciate who aren't into this kind of thing, the pleasure as a child looking at all the figures. You could only buy maybe one because of your pocket money, but then stop you looking at every one in that shop and, you know, the stuff that you learn from going over there. And there, of course, that's the introduction to things like White Dwarf. And White Dwarf was, in those days... I don't know, Dragon, I, I seem to remember Dragon coming over a little later as well because it was coming from so far away. And I also distinctly remember it being expensive. Um, and so White Dwarf was kind of the obvious one to get because it was cheaper. And it was, um, yeah. It, again, it had this, although it was professional because it technically it had good cover art. Again, you can tell from the typesetting, it was kind of not a super high budget thing. What have you got there? That's that's this month's right, right dwarf. This is the one you would be using right now in uh, 1980. Right. Wow, wow. So yeah, I had that one, and so right. the somewhere I've got one here that I'm going to wave back at you because that's okay. what we were waving white dwarf. So you can see this is after they changed the masthead. Yeah. So they're starting to stray. Have you seen that one? Uh, I don't know. I don't think maybe. So. So this one has a scenario in it written by someone called Dave Whiteland. Oh, oh sure. Oh, that's and the philosopher's stone. Yeah, and it's awful. And this is kind of the point <laughs> that in those days, the uh, uh, you say 
what lovely English self-deprecating humour. No, honestly, it's awful. Um, but the fact was, I have a feeling that there wasn't that much material flying around. Um, uh, so this is what are we up to now to even have the number on 66. So this has come on quite way. June... Oh, they've got the confidence not to put the year in this. I think it's 85. You could work it. 85. I think you're right. right. I think it was 85. So maybe you could talk a little bit about that. So because before you published the Beholder's Cut, you don't want to talk about yeah. it? <laughs> so what's going on here is um, our little group, once you realize White Dwarf exists and you kind of get, it was weird because I've got this feeling that we knew we were in a thing which wasn't enormous. Uh, so the scale of the industry, it's real, but it was easy to be involved. That's the feeling. So people used to, we used to write into um, uh, the, there's a monster page that if you had a good monster, they'd publish it. And one of our group wrote a critical hit system for Traveller and that got published. And the idea that you could send stuff off and get stuff published, I guess in a way that is what YouTube has become for people who are YouTubing, that the creativity has gone digital, but the idea that it was in a way vindicated in publication. It's, it's really encouraging oh for my, kids. And absolutely. So we, absolutely. Yeah, I totally we, agree with that. I, I, I can't, uh, and I think to your point, back to once it got to a certain, th just because it's that almost thing, it's a hipster thing, and I hate to, that's not disparaging a hipster. Once everyone knows about it and it gets so popular, you know, your chance of publishing that 10 years on is not going to happen because there's just so yep. much material that comes out there. So it's that sweet spot of really influencing the hobby and having an opportunity to do it before it becomes so mainstream and so many people where either people are smarter or whatever, you know, it's, it's that, it's the, you know, would, would, if Arneson and Gygax, which again, well, all praises to Gygax, yep. if, if, if they didn't do it five years or 10 years later when someone else, because there's other yes. people thinking about it, would yep. we have a different game and would have been better? Yes. I, I, I obviously would have been different, so. Yes, yes. So the other thing that is a huge factor in answer to your question about the influence is because the UK is a smaller place, there's a thing that can happen here that can't happen so easily over there, which is that we had Games Day. So you have one event nationally that basically everyone could get to. Right. It would happen to be in London, and we have a problem with centralization in the UK, but nonetheless, that was the case. So the fact that there was a big event, uh, annual event, where you go and see what's going on and meet people and see, just see this thing you belong to, um, that is another huge factor, I think, in the influence that then someone like Steve Jackson has because uh, he was very, Ernie and Livingston, very involved in that in that world. Ian Livingston, of course, who is still, uh, I say, of course, I should have done slightly better research had I known we were going to go in this direction. But he's been an advisor to the government about digital games now as well. He's still, a, a, what a great thing for somebody who was aware of that aspect of gaming going on to, to remain uh, mainstream, I guess, uh, in that respect. But so, Games Day was another big factor for us, where we would see White Dwarf, see people playing, see, and basically know all the all the stuff that was going on in the in the UK. We'd kind of know about from these annual trips, which were again another exciting day out as well, because we're young teenagers going up to London was uh, was good fun. So, yeah. So, with that in mind, I sent I sent uh, this scenario to White Dwarf, and it is about. Um, alchemy. And what kind of happened there is that I got fascinated in looking into a bit about, I must have read about the Philosopher's Stone somewhere, the more I read about it, the more interesting it became. As an adult, it's fascinating because there is no line where, where alchemy stops and chemistry starts. So it turns out to be quite historically interesting. And so I was able to justify looking at alchemy books in the library as part of my 
A-level high school chemistry studies, which is why I didn't get good marks in anything. <laughs> but uh, uh, the amount of research is phenomenal. And what, what this particular scenario is, is basically a bunch of lookup tables for chemical reactions, which frankly is exactly as tedious as an adventure as you would imagine. Um, so it's like random generation of mostly toxic things, which now and again have a benign effect. So you're basically rolling dice on a on a chemical reaction table. It's tedious. Um, but what it did do, of course, was encourage me to believe that you could write a scenario and get it published. And that that's the value of that. And so then, a bit later, that's why I continued doing that. And I was writing the scenarios for the benefit of the group anyway, but I loved the idea. It feels like short story writing. And I was later, it turns out, I have been, I am, uh, my artistic life is that I have done creative writing. So um, this was absolutely the precursor for that. So it's a framework for writing a story. That so happens the story is the story that the, the reader is a active protagonist in. These days, of course, we'd call those video games and we would do them in a different way. But um, yeah, that's what was going on. And the Beholder Contracts was one based on a particular idea that I had that I fleshed out into a story, ran as a group, realized this was working, wrote it up as a scenario and sent it off. And the reason, <laughs> the reason that we're talking on St. Patrick's Day is because... There must have been a reason why I didn't bother sending it to White Dwarf. And maybe I did. Yeah, exactly that, right? So we could... Wait, you don't remember why you said... Because that was, of course, going to be the next question is... Yeah, why, yeah. If, if you've already been published in White Dwarf, why are you sending it to an obscure magazine? Oh, so oh. For, for our listeners, which magazine are you talking about? Because if it's so obscure, our listeners would not know it. Right. So it is fan it's something right. called Fantasy Chronicles, the magazine for role gamers and war gamers. And I, it comes out of the Republic of Ireland. I don't think it lasted very long. I can't remember. Maybe like six or nine issues, right. something, something like it that. It didn't last long enough to pay its contributors. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that's a story. Is the statute of limitations run on that? Um, it really. The thing is, you know, it doesn't matter. You do. If you get a thing like that published, mission accomplished. The idea they would also send you money was rather sweet, and the fact that it never happened didn't matter. Because really. I was, I was going to try to find David Farrell and Ian Brown. Yes. And but but maybe that would be awkward now because they right. think that now they're never going to come on because well, they're asking like, well, we money. No, no, no. <laughs> Listen, I, I made it clear is that I, it was rather sweet that they even offered to pay. I have a feeling, again, this is so long ago, but I have a feeling we're talking about 40 pounds. 40 of our well, Earth pounds. We don't know what pounds. you're talking about. Pounds. That's, that's not a lot. I, 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 could, I could lift 40 pounds. Well, yeah. you know, it was like, I don't know if you <laughs> saw like, the, what, two stone or something? And I don't know, something like that. There's all these things. It's in there. But what's interesting, just real quick, Dave. Is when we had. It's a measure of income. That's right. That's a measure of income. It's, it's the hashtag. What it's am I hashtag. I'm moving at nine inches. That's what's a hashtag now. Yes. Um, remember, we had Caroline Eric on, and they yes. haven't talked in 35 years. So this could be another 35 years. And Dave could bring up that awkward time when he's like, yeah, that 40 pounds, which, by the way, I've calculated 5% interest, and <laughs> I intended and invested in Apple at the time. So you owe me 600,000. Yeah, yes, it's the opportunity cost, isn't it? That's the thing, isn't it? <laughs> the, the, uh, the things that never happened to me because I couldn't get on that train because I was five pounds short on the ticket and that kind That's of right. thing. Yeah. It would be fascinating. Honestly, it would be fascinating to find out what the story behind that magazine was because I'm going to go out on a limb. I don't remember, but it's very likely the White Dwarf rejected it. Yeah. Which is interesting. It's very likely. Because you think that oh. they, well, because they, you know, and look, I, I've skimmed the Philosopher's Stone. I'm not intimately familiar with it, but. You, you're not a fan of it, even though you wrote it. You, you, the Beholder Contracts, of course, has is, is been incredibly well-received. 
and yep. so that is interesting that white white dwarf gets the one that's so, not. So I I think in the intervening years, white dwarf had, had got moved from being niche to I suspect they were overwhelmed with submissions. I, I strongly suspect because by then everyone's trying maybe, to do it. And uh, maybe it was like the monster manual. Where, where you saw the pictures, maybe they read your first adventure and they're well, like, I'm sending something in. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah, or, ex no, exa exactly that. By having published, <laughs> having had such a god-awful scenario published, I, I, un I unleashed the gates. And the thing is, of course, you get better material as a result. I mean, so there's no question that the quality of what was going in has probably got much higher. So, yeah, I'm Well, that's what they say that. about us here. If us jabronis can right. do a podcast and... And people respond, and like any, literally any idiot with a camera could do it. Well, maybe we, so maybe we have Dave to thank for for the great adventures right. coming out of White Dwarf in the mid to late right. 80s. This was the yep. ball that yep. became the, the oh. giant uh, aluminum ball that, oh. uh, that brought us here. Butterfly effect. I'll take that credit. I'll take that credit. And wouldn't it be great if I said, actually, Philosopher's Stone, I'd written a great adventure, and I deliberately deliberately brought it down a few notches just to encourage those who would come right. after me. That's the story. But yeah, that's, that's, that's the kind of no. Well, well noble just before thing you keep I doing do. that, that leads into one of the questions we have from, from our, some of our dear friends. Uh, well, actually, we have someone from Japan. He's, he's from, the, from Canada and UK, but he lives in Japan. And uh, he, he wants to know from, from your perspective, are you still gaming right now? Or? Oh, much like... Uh, yeah, I'm, I stopped. I stopped when I went to university. Like Dan. So yeah. I, Dan Collerton. Yes. Yeah, I found that really interesting. Um, uh, the story that you want to hear is that I discovered girls. That's not what happened. <laughs> uh, but I, re I really got into my studies. And so, and also the group, it's, as, as is common, the groups scattered and all went, we almost all went into different universities. So and we, I'm still in touch with some of them, of course, because those are friends from way back. And um, I'm an ungodly father to some of their children, stuff like that. So, But actually, no, I don't play anymore. And the other thing that's intriguing to me is that I don't play video games either because I followed a path now of writing and pro I ended up doing a computer science degree and I've lived a life of both being an artist and a, uh, a nerd. And I oscillate between the two because one, you don't make money, but you follow your vocation. And then I interrupt that to earn a bit of money. And computing is an interesting field because you can earn for the amount of time you put into it, a disproportionate amount of money. So it's a good way to, to then fund more artistic projects. I've come in and out. And I, I don't play many video games because I know I'd be absorbed by them. And interestingly, Cyberpunk 2077 might be the one that makes me actually pay for some hardware to actually play a game. Because that looks like the quality and the level of a game that I imagined when I was a kid playing D&D &D one day would be possible on computers. There's so, another aspect to this, is that in in 85, I went to university to study computer science, and that was another business about being in a part of, uh, in a, a world that most of the rest of the world didn't know about. So we're sending emails in the 80s, knowing that's better than faxes that other people have. And similarly, you know that graphics are coming, Pixar's coming, gaming is going to change. So in a way, I'm, I'm surprised that I don't play video games. I like watching video games to see what the, what's happened with them and their development. But actually, gaming in general, no, I stopped both with, the, I stopped at university with the uh, role-playing. I did run a couple of sessions in the, in the, as a swan song. I did another scenario after this that never went anywhere, but I ran that at university, and then that was the end of it. Yeah. So, just go ahead. Uh, but it, what, this is what I mean about it saved my education, because what a reference for the rest of my life it's been. Right. Uh, I... A really simple thing. When I started playing D&D, &D, 
I did not understand why. I did not really understand, and I use the word understand properly here, why intelligence and wisdom were two different scores. And now I'm an adult. I so understand mm-hmm. why those things are distinctly different. And I, the fact that my frame of reference for that is Dungeons & Dragons is either troubling if you're a proper grown-up or like me. I just think it was such a useful frame on which so much of my context of the way I see the world is still back in D&D. Hit points, I mean, what a concept. What, 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 what is your alignment in real life, would you say? Oh, that is easy. Uh, no, I uh, totally thought about that. Uh, I'm neutral good. Okay, I'm lawful neutral. So, all <laughs> With right. evil tendencies. <laughs> With evil tendencies. Well, evil and good tendencies. Right. And all right. So I'll, I'll, I'll pick litter up on my way up the hill. When I, I, go, I work at the university now. On my way up the hill, I pick litter up. That's good. But uh, if there was a law that told me I had to, I might not. Yeah. Okay, I understand. Neutral good. I like I that. I would say I'm lawful good. I thought you said you were chaotic. Well, this is not about us. You also remember this. You remember this. You have to be very careful about anyone self-claiming to be good because that's also what an evil person would do. That's right. Yes. Well, that goes. That's right. So the the follow-on to Menyon's question is, because he was very intrigued. He had to go because he's in Japan. So it's like, I don't know, it's three in the morning there. You you mentioned the spirit of, you know, DIY, punk-ish. How do we make the hobby, even though you haven't been it, Right, you're you're looking from the outside. How do you make it more egalitarian again? From your oh well, you mentioned it. Actually, digital has changed it again. It's come back round because now the tools allow you to produce astonishingly good quality stuff. And uh, one a simple example which has changed. I was amazed to meet a twenty-something-year-old gamer who was getting her character. 3D printed. Mm-hmm. I mean, how exciting is that, right? Well, that to me as a nerd is fantastic. We used to paint, we used to paint our bad, <laughs> badly misshapen lead figures. Um, and they, when I say the badly misshapen, again, the statute of limitations, I'm probably clear on this, but um, um, we were using minifigs, did some war game figures that were 11p each. And there was a guy around the corner from me who in his garage had made his own casts. And we were, so we were buying bootlegged lead, they were probably highly toxic, bootlegged lead figures. And there were some Citadel ones, but there's no detail by the time they've gone through this process and they really did look very blobby. But, um, Shambling mound. Uh, yeah, the fact... Right, exactly. So, <laughs> yes, everything did look... Yeah, it had been covered by slime. Um, and so these days, the technology has changed that. So the, the, the tools for digital creation have brought that back in. So I think... I think one of the problems is I do think that the staggeringly high quality uh, artistic management that goes into these products is a deterrent. But on the other hand, the tools for producing beautiful stuff are staggering. So I think I think digital has helped that. Um, it's a bit you might be familiar with the Mozilla organization, the people behind mm-hmm. Firefox, and part of their campaign is saying the same thing, that the young people have these amazingly creative tools which they are being encouraged to see as consumer uh, terminals instead of creative tools. So both ter- both computers and phones are much more creative than maybe the generation before them realize. So that, that my answer to that would be definitely digital is is the solution to this. And presumably that's happening. I hope it is. Okay. Well, okay. and then the last thing, one of our patrons just said that, uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, but on this website, Drive Through RPG, people can download the Beholder contracts oh, for free. He knows. He, he insist- we'll get to the, oh, he insisted sorry. that it be for free. Oh, okay. Oh, I didn't I, that. So that is such a lovely thing that happened because you might know this. The reason the beholder contracts is then that. Oh, let's, so let's. There is somebody to thank for that. Um, uh, I'll say Dan Ham. Oh, so Keith, that how rude Keith, I haven't got Keith to, Han. Keith, 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 Keith Han. 
Keith, Keith, Han. Keith Han is a hero in this story. And of course, we've never met because this is the modern day online thing. But somebody mentioned, I think it was 10 foot pole, right? Yeah. Do you, Bryce, you Bryce Lynch. Ten, yeah. So, so, yeah. So maybe we set this up. So, Bryce Lynch of 10 foot pole does a review. He finds somehow, he finds this obscure, obscure thing. And he does a he, story is, he does a review. Is that he got that you got a second hand copy of it from posted from Uganda as part of the wow. story. Correct. You got he, Correct. <laughs> it came in right. He ordered two. The first one got lost, I believe. The second one yeah. arrives from Uganda and he, he does a review. And this is what Bryce Lynch, so he has a he has a blog. Is that a Nigerian Prince thing where if you send money you get <laughs> yes. one of these magazines? It's, it's weird that the one from Uganda came. Right. You think that one didn't send me your social security number. <laughs> That's right. And, and we'll send you this. We'll send you. Okay. Sure. We have everything. Wonderful. So Bryce Lynch, a ten foot pole, I think in, in 2018. So this is all very recently, right? right? Of ten foot pole, right? I'm minding my own business. Clear. I'm minding my own business, living my own life, not thinking right. this is going on. Just, right, just like Dan yeah, I'm not involved in like, oh, This is what we did. Yeah, people right. like us, we do now. Right, we harass. So, so Bryce Lynch writes a very long. It's a glowing review. So if you type in the Beholder contract. <laughs> and 10-foot pole, you will find the review. It's a glowing review. And he says, I often talk about digging through boxes of junk adventures at cons and stumbling across a masterpiece, a hidden gem. That's what this is. And I think if I understand at that point then, there was talk about, well, somebody, people always say, well, I want it. This really should be redone. <laughs> and so, so, so Keith Han decides to work on republishing it, and I guess he reaches out to he you, is that correct? He, he, did, he did the genius thing. I mean, instead of wondering what to do, he actually typed my name into Google right. and actually contacted right. me and said, um, could I reformat it? And uh, because he's got a point, because in the original publication, it is very hard to read. You've got that there, right? It's not, yeah. That is not a masterclass in typesetting. Um, is, is, <laughs> they, they is there a one-point font? Because let, that's what that let is. Me, let me just point out, though, I don't know if you're familiar with the adventure Lair of Maldred the Mighty, which is in White Dwarf which not only had really small font, it was tilted, I believe, at times. It's even worse. So this is actually, honestly, Dave, this is not bad. Right. It can be worse. And there is, there is some, uh, that, and in, the, in what they published in the uh, magazine, they used my maps that I'd sent them, uh, but they also dropped a, a bit of clip art in there yeah, as well. They did. So they're, they're, that, yeah, okay, that's a, that, that is a classy map, yeah. isn't it? Because it's kind of like a linear survey. And hilariously, in Bryce's review, he actually draws attention to the fact that's a good thing rather than a bad thing. Yeah, it looks, it looks like you're getting a pool, a pool set up or, or I have to pull out the Pythagorean theorem. That's great. Yeah. yeah. But, okay. Yeah. Let me give it to him. But Dave, I have, I have to point this out. Yeah, in, the, in the redone version, you know what you will find? Yeah. <laughs> you will find the same map. That's right. <laughs> so. So, so I think I have a feeling that's because uh, – Keith is a gentleman and didn't want to redo it, but it could that could have done a bit of work. The key thing there is you can see what that really is about is as a dungeon master, what you need to know is to get it from yeah. A to B. You do that how you like. We don't really need a hex for every step of the journey. That's really what that is about. And I wanted to ask you about that because what I thought so so this adventure has Thank you. So I think I think you're about to ask me about the scenario, but I think we should still do about how it came Please to do. be yes. on the drive because Keith says to me, and when he's done all this and he put it together, but he also said there are some problems with the way it's written. And what he's being here is an editor. And I've been edited in real life, and it always makes a product better. And uh, he might, I don't know what he was expecting, but some creatives will be 
appalled at the idea that you're about to change their work, right? But on the contrary, he was pointing out that there are better ways that this could be laid out to tell the story. And so he was asking me specific questions, and he's worked some of that into what has been published on Drive-Thru RPG. So the document that you've ended up with there is better than the one in the magazine because it had a intelligent editor make it a bit better as well. So that's a great thing I'm really pleased about, as well as fixing the formatting, which is kind of crucial. Well, and, and, um, he's and I'd like to ask you about the editing then. Uh, so this is, you know, what, 35 or so years later. I mean, you're, you're being asked to fill in details and make explanations. I mean, did you, rem did you forget what you were thinking at the time? And that is because uh, I'd like to attribute this quote properly, but the reason why role-playing, why D&D is so powerful, as video games are, is though you know, we are creating vicarious memories. It's not like reading a book that you remember. And may, some books do work on that way, but it's not like, um, yeah, watching a TV series and then being asked about it years later, what it was like when you were there, because you weren't there. I think our brains are better at remembering stuff we think we were at, and that is definitely the case in role-playing and creation. So though I do find that it's a really good question um, how I did not have any trouble remembering what I, I can't remember what I come into a room today and I have no idea what I've come into the room for. But the fact that I can remember <laughs> a fictional situation from, yeah, over 35 years ago is, is mighty interesting. I think that's because of, in fact, that reminds me of a distinct thing that happened when I was a teenager playing these games. I had a part-time job at an emporium known as Marks and Spencer, which you people might have heard of over there. I don't know. It's um, it's where it's where uh, the English used to buy their underwear. Um, in, fact, <laughs> in fact, I could show you the label to show <laughs> that it's still the case. Anyway, um, and I remember um, uh, a friend of mine who was in the group. He played an assassin. He went on to become a, a quite a senior policeman before he recently retired. <laughs> but anyway, a friend in the group was telling me about a thing that had happened in another game they'd been playing. So he was describing what had happened in a role-playing game he'd, ha he'd had, a D&D thing, and a member of the staff at Marks & Spencer's, a colleague of ours who wasn't a role-player, was bemused to hear him saying, John threw me a dagger, I caught the dagger, and I, and I kept the door open with it, or something like that. And she said, where was this happening? And I realized then that normal human beings who weren't into role-playing were not having this experience where you could describe a thing that you'd done, which you hadn't really done, but you were definitely there, your mates were there, there was this shared experience, and that is part of this idea of creating vicarious communal memories. I think they're much stronger. So I think that's why I remember Builder Contracts so strongly. I did run it as a scenario a couple of times, maybe three times, so that's another reinforcer. But yeah, and it was, of course, it was it was nostalgic fun to have someone, as this, this case, uh, Keith, in a non-patronizing way, actually genuinely appear to be interested in what was going on in these things. And and also there were some mistakes in it. And so he's made it better. Um, and then when he was done, he said, right, how do he knew how to distribute it. And the idea, the idea of charging money for this was ludicrous, not least as, as now that you know that I hadn't made money out of it the first time around. It seemed a bit childish <laughs> to, to, to try and claw that money back no. now. You, um, you, you, so, you should have so, said, I'll just, the amount of money I'm owed, once that's, <laughs> once I've got that, then it'll go free. Kickstarter or some well, kind of GoFundMe, 40, 40 pounds. Well, with interest, you know, right. I mean, come on. <laughs> well, hopefully, hopefully, if you can, if you can track down those Fantasy Chronicle guys, the story of founding it, there are two stories, right? One is they saw an, op an opportunity in the market to exploit teenage kids with too much pocket money, or they were genuinely trying to be an alternative to the increasingly corporate white dwarf. 
I, and I'm willing to generously believe it was the second. And they just, it didn't stick because it's actually much harder to run a magazine in a small hobby. Um, there might, the fact that it's Irish, we haven't really talked about this, but I don't know, I'm clearly I'm not Irish. And the fact that it was an Irish magazine is wholly irrelevant to us because it was just a magazine that you could buy in the game shops here. White Dwarf and then Fantasy Chronicles turned up. And I think I saw issue one sent them this because I saw a new magazine existed and then we're going to, we're going to go with the story that White Dwarf rejected it. Cause I can't believe I didn't send it to White Dwarf first. Um, uh, and then the fact that it was in Ireland is by the by, and it might just be, there are some tax advantages to being in Ireland and selling in the UK. It might be that that's so, part so, of the so, story. So, so the owners of the magazine might not even be Irish. It's like an offshore account right. or something. Some kind of tax I, shelter. So I, I, don't, I don't want to say that. I would be lovely if you could find out what they were doing and what became of they them. They sound, I don't, know, they, I don't know, David Farrell and Ian Brown, they sound Irish, right. don't they? I don't know. They seem, well, I, I, I don't know, Daniel. I don't know. You'll have to find that out at some point. All so. right, well, I'm, I'm on it. Garutsos is clearly my ancestry. We don't get north of Yugoslavia, with the former Yugoslavia, so we don't know. Well, I'm Garmanski. All right. So, so. <laughs> so anyway, that's how it came to be on Drive Through RPG, and it was rather sweet that it happened. And I'm um, delighted. And it is just wonderful to think that if now and again somewhere in the world that adventure is happening again, because that's a weird thing. It's a it's it's a bit like a, somebody finding a book in a secondhand bookstore and reading your story again. But actually, there's a little more when these characters in some way come to life in a little room somewhere. That's kind of great, isn't right. it? So, yeah, it was, it was fun. It, it is great. And um, so, yeah, I'd like to ask you about the adventure because I, I think it's, it's a wonderful adventure. And, I, and I, I, when I came back into D&D, and I had taken about a 30-year hiatus, uh, what I was particularly interested in were adventures that I didn't have access to at the time. I was discovering things like Judges Guild, White Dwarf, and some of these hidden gems. And I did the research, and my guess is I probably came across the 10-foot pole review. And when I saw Adventure published in Obscure Irish Magazine, I'm like, this is, I want right. this. Right. I mean, everyone knows Against the Giants. <laughs> yeah. I want this. And, 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 and so I found it. And I think at that point in time, it had been scanned. It was before, I think it was before it was on, RP, on Drive-Thru RPG. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so part yeah. of me was a little yeah. disappointed it got on Drive-Thru RPG because I like to hoard. Like, I've got this, you know. I think yeah. even in his, I think Brian in his, his 10-foot pole thing said, I've got it and you don't, right? I've got it. Yeah, but if, if you were better, you'd have gone to Uganda yeah. first, right? He beat me to Uganda. I, 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 yes, I, I bought this. I think it was before it was on, uh, before it was on uh, our Drive-Thru RPG. So I didn't show up with a boot. Leg piracy version. I should. I should say. Oh, we're losing him. Hold on. Hold on, Dave. You there? Yeah. You're, you're breaking up a little bit. Uh, oh. We've we lost Dave for a second. We're gonna try to re. I have been. Oh, yeah. Sorry, Dave. You're you're breaking up a little bit. Hold on. I'm going to call him back. Sorry, folks. James jumps into action. Yes. I'm going to try to call him back, see what happened. He's Maybe the, unfortunately, England is gone. They've been lost. That's it. The coronavirus. That'd be horrible if right before we would get it, we would just get into the adventure. No, he's not online. That's oh. not good. He's no answer. Let's see what happened to him. He's trying. He's trying. Okay, try again. 
Hey, wait, we hear you. There you, you are again. We thought. <laughs> so, can, can we? Can we? Uh, uh, are you being sponsored by Microsoft? No, no, we're not. So you, okay, Skype, Skype just crashed out. Yeah, no, it's okay. We thought the coronavirus, that was it. The whole, the contagion took over England. We should look out the window. That's right. Is there anything happening? What's happening out there? People running. That's right. and <laughs> on fire. So, Everything's on fire. So we last the... Uh, I, I, I don't know how professionally you filled that time, but I just mentioned that I did. I have in we, fact been to Uganda and nobody came up to me and said, hey, you're Dave White. Wow. Well, that's weird, isn't no, no. it? <laughs> it's a wasted opportunity. I didn't realize that uh, my work had got there before they I did. They weren't at the airport with signs and yeah, pictures. How, and... how did it get there? You'd want to know that, right? How did that little magazine? Well, the gods that must be trip. crazy, almost. You that know, the Coke like, bottle. It's the Coke bottle in this magazine. It's like a children's, it could be a children's book. How I got to well, these, Uganda. These, well, clearly that's where the two guys who started the uh, magazine, they took their money and I ran. I got to look to Uganda. <laughs> yes, yeah, so. that's right. They got your money. They're living they're living on a ranch, and they've got a basement full of the back copies of this magazine, which they occasionally send out to people who ask online. That's right. That's so, awesome. So you had, and, and I can't remember what the question was before we, uh, we, we does broke it matter? Does, no, our yeah. questions are not very good. Yeah. Um, but so, so um, the Beholder contract, so this was something you said that you had run for your group. Yeah. So I had the idea... I had the idea of a wizard being able to see stuff that eyes had seen. Oh, so we should maybe say there's spoilers coming. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. okay. So if you, right, so, so there's spoilers coming. If you don't want to, if, if you're going to go through this as a player. If you're going to be this, through this as a player, if you're not like yeah. Dave. Do something says, better with your time. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, if you're not like Dave who doesn't play, but, then, but, then you'll probably be spoiled from that. But that, that, is already, that is already one of the problems that we had with D&D, which was the, how much should players know? So I mentioned to a friend this morning that I was coming on to this uh, podcast uh, and uh, it turned out he's Turkish and he used to play in Turkey oh, wow. in the 80s. And again, kind of photocopied rule books. Yeah. There's, there's a lot, I keep meeting people who were, who were getting their D&D through slightly bootleg ways, which was beautiful, right? Um, uh, but yeah, the... the um, Had he heard of Grog Talk? <laughs> That's right. Has he heard of Grog Talk? Um, yes, he, don't, li- don't so lie you, to be nice. Uh, yeah. And I, I didn't mention the name of the podcast. <laughs> you couldn't so remember it. <laughs> no, because I could remember we it. We are one of the top five podcasts in an obscure internet. Like, that's, like, right. that's right. Uh, or, yeah. But anyway, he mentions the fact that the, the, the business about getting hold of the rule books was an issue and scenarios because if you got something, you'd read it because there was so little material. And that made it hard. So if you, if you as a DM got hold of a scenario, the likelihood that you'd got hold of a scenario that your players hadn't read was probably, yeah. and remains a big problem. And now the fact that this is the cost on drive through RPG, that is the value of putting a price on it. It's not because somebody's going to make money. It's to stop players casually browsing in adventures that some DM might otherwise be been able to run. Because there is a bit of a plot twist in Beholder contracts, which makes it work. Oh, which is, a, which is the, the nature of the spoiler warning, is that for a player it's better if the players don't understand what's about to happen to them. To be sure. And, and yeah, and that's the nature of the D&D publishing, right, that is, that is out there. And it, absolutely. But I will say, though, unless they're my son, the production goblin, who, when we were playing online, I hear typing. I'm like, yes, because yeah. we were playing uh, Bone Hill or one of these and or no, a cult of the reptile god. So you know he was he wasn't around for it, and we were we were playing with some other people online, and, and I hear typing and then silence, mm-hmm. typing in silence. He wasn't doing his homework. No, typing in silence, and I realized <laughs> he's searching for the thing. So 
Xbox. Yeah. What I had to do is for, for a few, I wanted to run the old games recently when we started up again. So I just renamed everything. So or or right, Lane became right. Borlane, and you know, yeah. and so if they did, if they, oh, what's the? How do you spell Orlane? O R, and they, you know, <laughs> and I think you know, it's the whole thing with cheating. Really, if you're fudging dice. I mean, I understand when you're 13 or 14, but if you're a 45, 50 year old man, and well, well, why are you playing then? Right? If you're, I mean, why are you playing? I mean, yeah. the random and the danger is the fun, right? right? Uh, I rolled a seven. Really? Okay. Okay. But all right. That's if that's. I've got, what, I have psionics. That's right. Okay. If that's what you need, go for it. It's all good. So that's interesting because you uh, you earlier claimed that your alignment was good, and yet you're a cheat. How does that How does that plan out? When did you switch alignment in your really? life? I'm not cheating. Yeah, I'm well, saying you, these other people okay, are cheating. Good. So, oh, okay, okay. So for a moment then I thought you were admitting to, to sometimes changing dice. No, I, I, I roll them out in the open. I, the only time I will be lenient is if it's a new player. And only because, you know, we want people to come in the hobby and D&D can be brutal. And... So there, there's a thing, isn't it? There's a thing that I've often wondered about how other groups played is that character generation... You're going to be stuck with this set of awful scores, and if you if you really do roll a one on your hit dice, your your adventure is going to be very nervy. And surely, and the fact that the rulebook even kind of says here are several ways to fudge the dice until you get scores that are good enough on character generation, to me it feels like one of the great lies in the world that these character scores are not really random at all, right. and that you don't start until you got a decent player, and no no DM makes you set out with one hit point if that was what happened and the rules said you oh, should have we? done. Particularly the we did that. I, I had illusionist. My illusion started with one hit point. My cleric had two hit points. Oh yeah, I enforced that rule. Absolutely. When I ran, yes. Yeah. Uh, Autis, Autis the third. I was Autis the third. I have had three clerics rolling, and he had one hit point, two hit points, and then he had five the second time. I, I third time. What's my alignment? Uh, Lawful neutral. It's the rule. That's right. The rule says you roll a hit die. You should have had a higher con. Well, that's right. Exactly why you always play a ranger because there you know you go. you're going to have enter. <laughs> this is how sad I am that I can still remember this. Right, the, the reason you play a ranger is because you know there's a chance of surviving the first time well, you get hit. Well, we had a ranger except, in my game, except in his game, <laughs> he had three hit he points. He had three hit points. He rolled a two and a one. He didn't have a con bonus, so he had three hit points. He was eaten by a carrion crawler. And did he ever show up again? After I don't that? think we've seen him again. No, we've never seen him again. No, that was the end of first edition. So yeah. Well, what I love about so many, the reason why I asked you if you remember the first time you played is so many people, when they explain the first time they play, they say, oh, yeah, they always seem to be a magic user. I right. played them, because you know why? Because everyone else knows they don't want to be the no magic. You're the new that. guy. Yeah. I want to be a magic, a wizard. That's great. Oh, <laughs> we're going to let you be the wizard <laughs> so, this time. That is so true. So because I had DM'd before I played, when I played, I played a druid because I knew that was the way you get the maximum number of spells in first level in AD&D. Yeah, that you get, if you you've got high wisdom with a right. druid, I think you can start with... This is so sad that this is in my head. I think you can start with three, and then you look over, you glance over to the magic user lugging his library on a trolley, and he's got to sit reading those books, and he's got his... He'll be obliged to have sleep because the party demands oh. it. Oh, so he's oh, basically wait, wait, one whoa, shot. Whoa, time sir, out. Sir, you, you <laughs> got to roll. You have to roll have to by roll, the book. By you got to roll, you for, roll your, for your spell. Let's do that right now. In fact, yes. Let's see what Dave gets. No, That's no, it. my no, no. friend. Giving out spells. Number one. No, make it clear. I was never going to be a magic user because I'd read here's the rule book. I was not going to fall for that, that sucker trap. Always here's his hit points. 
All right, you have two hit points. Two hit points. Hey, that's pretty good. Does he have yeah, a con bonus? He's a magic user. But he could have a con bonus. He's not going to have you. He, so, oh right, now, let's be clear about this. I, no. I can't wear... Uh, in first edition, I can't wear armor. Correct. But it doesn't say that my party... I can't live inside a metal box that the party puts on wheels and, br and brings me along if they want can me you, to have my you, spell. Can you afford that? Do you have enough gold pieces to buy that? <laughs> I'll, wait, I'll wait till they're fifth level and can safely defend me, and then <laughs> I'll then come out. then you have fireball. No, I wouldn't. You don't need it. I, I wouldn't because I'm still at home with no experience points. That's true. Um, <laughs> oh, so yes. So, so, so yeah, there. So what? Basically, magic user we all realised was code for mapper. Right. Right. <laughs> That's basically what it meant. Bring your graph paper, and in a couple, in in about we three had, months, you'll, yeah, we you'll, had, we'll let you join. XP Sponge was our version. He, you they, need to spell been, acquisition in I know, the I'm, index. I'm, I'm, I got. Right. Go ahead. So if I'm so, was a druid. Because they're clerical spells, there was no question that you could have the spells you want. Correct. Right? Okay, so here's the great thing about Druid. Not only, if I recall correctly, do you get more space spells than a cleric, That's correct? Right. Yeah, they, they accelerate their spells yep. faster. You get to He's pick right. your spells. Yep, like, like a menu, yep. the, and, the divine menu. Yep. And Dragon Magazine in the errata for the player's handbook made clarified <laughs> that Druids get the clerical wisdom bonus for spells. That's right. Oh, yeah, no, we like that. I think it's in there. It's not in the... I can't believe... It doesn't actually say it in the player's handbook, right? It was in an errata. It's inferred, but then later they... they In the errata for the player's handbook in episode 31, because we just reviewed this, they added it on there. So, yes. So, Dave, pick a number. So, you want obscure? We have obscure. Okay, here's what your spells are going to be. You probably don't have a die 10. So, pick a number from 1 to 10. Pick a number 1 to 10. Well, hang on, that's not fair. I might oh, well wow. hang on. Okay. I just assumed that was rude of me, that wasn't was it? I just assumed because he had him played. He and have... He's got soft cover books. Right? And and white. He didn't sell that White Dwarf magazine, no. remember? He left that one. He, out. He, it's a, he... Okay. So even though I'm not a gamer, of course I have these about. Okay. Wonderful. Yeah. So, wow. These are the facts of life, right? So I can do a D20 and that's a half, right. all right? Or just if do the second number, okay. right? Yeah, or whichever. Six. 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 So you have magic missile. Oh, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. You could have gotten push. Yeah. <laughs> Which, All right. We need to roll again because then you get a defensive and a miscellaneous. Hang on. This is yes. I'm, oh, this is in the page thirty-nine, page 39 of the, the Dungeon Master's Guide. Oh, I got a zero. What are you going to do? Oh, you with get that? to that's choose. 10, isn't it? Oh, 10. but you know what? We could be even nastier. He has to roll chance to no magic missile. No. See, we always ruled that the mat the. The magic users, uh, uh, master. You those, automatically you get learn those. those. The right, later fine. ones, you have to. Well, he's doing pretty times. well then. So he can choose. He can choose. Yes. You can choose effect normal fires, dancing lights, feather fall, hole portal, jump, protection from evil, shield, spider climber, ventriloquism. Hole portal. Oh, he's he's ready to go. He's got it. And then right. miscellaneous. Roll D10. And then you get a miscellaneous. Don't cheat. Seven. Is it mending? No, it's, it's message. message. Ah, message. You can talk to people. Yes, you can send a you quick whips, message. You whisper in their ear. <laughs> that's email, that's, right? Yes, exactly. Hello. So that's the way it would work. So you say, I want sleep, or I want... No, I'm sorry. You only have a 20% chance of getting sleep, either by rolling sleep or getting the choose. So if you play it, rules as written, you could end up with light as your offensive spell. And you could get, and you could get yeah. mending? Where's mending? mending? Mending is your miscellaneous. That's right. And you could end up with ventriloquism. Isn't it sad? It's a grumpy old man. I'm thinking mending's quite useful. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. We, we found out that's how you make the homunculus. We didn't. We didn't. We we totally bashed it. But one of our patrons were like, "You need mending to to, to make a homunculus." We didn't know that. Uh, we didn't know that. I would say who knew, but the answer is 
You that somebody know. knows. We yeah. knew nothing. It's we have people <laughs> halfway around the world who tell us this. Oh so. yeah, what did we learn? Oh yeah, did we just recently learned that arguably, if you cast haste on somebody, you think this is an awesome spell, right? You might have to make a system shock roll to not be killed, That's right. right? Because it's aging. Somewhere, somewhere. That's spell that. Presumably there's a saving throw on it, but you can, yeah. you can yeah. ruin people's lives by speeding right. up. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Well, first, it, it has to work on you. So I guess you get a no saving throw. There's no saving throw against haste oh. or slow. So it's just a straight-up system shot. That's right. And, it, and maybe, maybe you're hard to get, but you've probably got a grandmother that you love, and I'll go and cast haste on her. I was her. just meaning to do well. Right. And, and she dies. But, but, yeah, so, instantly, that was me playing an evil yeah. character. Obviously, I would never have such thought myself. Right. Clearly. It was well, cathartic. It was but no, cathartic. but that's why people who have good alignment in real life like to play evil that's characters because right. they get it out of their system that's and then right. they can continue to be good. Right, it's cathartic. Right? I it's agree. important. Absolutely. The evil ones are the ones who've only... It's, it's everyone has to play a lawful good character. They're evil in real life because they're like, I'm sick of being lawful good. Right. All right. That's interesting because if you're confident about that, that's the kind of information that our law enforcement agencies will be using to round up. Yes. Precog. Ran up all the good characters. Oh, you're a paladin? Come with me. Yeah, it's, it's, a, Ro it's a Rorschach exactly. test, basically. You clearly are bad in real life. You're, um, a, you're a sadist. But go ahead, yeah. keep going. We, we, shockingly, we, Sorry, we've that, diverged from the topic. Sorry about that. Well, when I... But then playing, playing, a, playing a, a druid also gives you the neutral um, angle, isn't it? Because the first edition insists that you're purely Yeah, but neutral. you know what? So you're a druid. Now I'm really unhappy. You know why? Because I wanted to be a paladin. And I can't, right? I can't be a paladin now. Right. Oh, right, because you can only have good friends. Right. One, you get one adventure. Right. One adventure. So if it's a one-off, go for it. So burn the, vi burn yeah, the village you, down and teach those and civilized a, people. It's worse, because even if you do get to be friends with me and you get your horse, you know I'm going to be better friends with you yeah. than you are. Yeah, what are you guys talking about? Are you talking about me? <laughs> the horse is laughing. <laughs> Exactly What's he that. saying? Right. That guy doesn't know how to ride a horse. Yeah, I don't think they, the humor is in their is in their code. Uh, well, Mr. Ed. No, oh, oh the, the paladin. Paladin. Well, you know, we were thinking it would be very cool. It's a paladin of uh, Aphrodite. Aphrodite. Yes. Is your right? A whole party. A whole party. Uh, it worships Aphrodite. With high constitution, as right? we found out. Okay. What I love about this adventure, the whole kind. I'll tell you. Well done. Well done. Put in this yes. back. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> here rain him in. So what I love about, I'll tell you what I love about this adventure, other than the fact that it's obscure, is that, number one, I noticed that this one's low level and the Philosopher's Stone is low level. And I saw online that you had said so apparently, you, this boy, this guy's old school. You ready how old school okay. Dave how, how old school is he? It took his party like several years just to get third level. Mm. Is that right? Yep. And, and you were very yep. miserly with with the gold. Yeah, but you see, I thought now you. But but we weren't doing that awful thing about saying the rules say you've only got one <laughs> just, hit point. It just came naturally <laughs> to you. <laughs> so, well, but I think this is super interesting that I loved writing low characters as adventures for low level characters because it has to be about the story, right? Because what what happens, of course, you look at the. Uh, you look all the ex you'd be shocked to know how few of the official modules that I've actually read and I haven't played I don't think I've played any of them maybe keep on the borderlines we might have tried once but I haven't actually played any of them but what what obviously happens as an outsider looking in is you get the idea of spectacle just like cinema does you have the big explosions the big fireballs the big monsters by going up high level but it doesn't make the stories any better 
And so actually I kind of found the adventure that for me, the joy of the adventure was partly the fact that you're working as a group that is very vulnerable. And that's why to me, and maybe it was because we were running such miserly campaign uh, that we played such a miserly campaign, but this feeling in the group that you're helping each other is because actually it's a requirement to survive. And in a game, that's quite a nice thing. Um, so the low-level thing was deliberate. And in fact, that is exactly why Behold the Contracts is the way it is. It starts by you being given an opportunity to use higher magic uh, items than you would normally have in order to have a more exciting okay, adventure. But, 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 um, okay, and, but you're leaving out something important here, which is that on, if you're going to run this in your campaign, you get to tell yeah. your party that they've been stripped of all their magic items before that happens, right? Well, that's presupposing that you've got to keep any. If you read the, of course, uh, Fritz Lieber's Fafford and the Great Mauser uh, was such an influence on the nature of the fantasy. But at the end of their stories, they keep losing everything. They spend their stuff. They don't. They're not. They don't accumulate. They don't build the stronghold. What kind of capitalist idea is the idea that when you're good at this game, you get to build the stronghold and have servants? And this is awful. So. Yeah, the idea, the only thing that you were really accumulating would maybe, in our campaigns, was experience of cost and maybe a few fairly feeble magic items. So it never occurred to me that that was a particularly cruel thing to do, but you, cause often you end an adventure with nothing. But maybe you don't if you play it and properly. That is so uh, <laughs> antithetical to what most players want. I mean, they, they, they it's almost, yeah, they go out drinking? No, forget it. I'm not doing that during my downtime. I'm... You know, I'm, they want to go and produce scrolls. It's like they're preppers for the apocalypse, you know, the next adventure. They want hundreds of scrolls. They're making armor. They're, anything they can do to save money, they'll fight over five fictitious gold pieces. Like, we just talked for 10 minutes about how you want to save. I've got these threads of people trying to make money on downtime, arguing of how much, they can, how much beer they can produce as a, as a brewer. I'm like, it's a game. So... After this, I ran a non-D&D campaign that was set in Middle-earth using our own system. And I remember at one point, the players found a gold coin. And we had been using, it was such an impoverished campaign that um, the, the joy of figuring out who was going to look after the money because they had a coin. <laughs> it was great. So I've actually taken this to a did, did, did your group ever play with other DMs? They just they didn't know any better? They thought this was normal? Let me tell, let me tell you. They never played with me after they had. Did, did, did they ever see that against the Giants was like level what, seven to nine or yeah, something? Did right. they see modules with levels that were like, did they think, was it just Holmes basic? Are we one through three? Yeah, that's, that's it. awesome. You look in the back of, you look in the back, is it the DMG that's got the, uh, the tread? No, it's in the most amount of the hordes where you find out how much monsters the hordes are worth. I'm looking at these thinking, oh no, this is, this is wrong. This isn't going to happen. That's awesome. <laughs> He's not even used the torture table. I, I, I want it on the record that I am not a miserly person in real life, and if you were here, I would be the first at the bar to buy you a drink. I just want you to know that because I'm coming across as <laughs> quite mean in this. Not at all. So no, things I mean, that are fictitious, very miserly. So well, no, because you know what? In all honesty, so I actually uh, that appeals to me because when, when we played back in the day. We never used, for example, we never used hirelings and followers. It was just us. This idea of the red shirts that you send people in to be bloodied, we never played with that. We usually tended to be very low level. We, we, you know, finding a, I always like to think that finding a plus one sword would be a big deal. I mean, James, you talked about with like in Lord of the Rings, right. like when you find a magic you sword. You find Sting, it's, it's, they're, it's they're a big named. deal. They're not generic. Yes. 
sword number one. Yes, and I I wonder if um, the stronger Lord of the Rings uh, readers were more minded to be like that, because that was definitely a thing for me, is is the scarcity of magic is what made it so special in Lord of the Rings. And so uh, the campaigns where it is abundant seemed odd to me uh, and, and uh, then apparently I've done it with wealth as well so maybe maybe there's something else going on well there. you know well and there's ways I mean Gary Gary wrote things in there like you got to pay per month I mean right. he, he really worked hard in ways to try to keep and the training costs I think most people suspect the training these very high training costs were designed to keep uh, yep. money down right. right so I think Gary yep. saw that I mean we I mean that's well and known accounting Monty is Hall, one right? of the things that people want to do when they're heroic fantasy adventurers is accounting, keeping yeah. track of, you know, nothing. First yeah. level, because everyone, oh, that's five copper pieces Okay, for do that. you know, that ready for this? I literally bought, when I was playing the gnome, mm-hmm. I, I bought a little accounting book. To, I was going to keep, like, all, like, five, I was going to do that. I was, like, looking forward to that, oh, actually. Well, I'm unusual. You can, right. Tomorrow when I run the game, you can feel free to stop by. It's a one-off. So I would rather not be around large groups. Okay. That's, <laughs> a lot of a lot of adventurers when they're setting off remember to take sacks with them to carry the gold back in. I think we can guess in my group they didn't bother with yeah, the sacks after yeah, the first. Yeah, a small sack, a pouch. <laughs> small pouch. Yeah. This was the large sack. They, yes. they, yes. they can they can they yeah. can carry Dave's treasure in their shoe. Like they put right. the coin in like a penny loaf or something. We, we don't need to worry about the encumbrance tables, but what we'd have to worry about is the schism in the party about who gets to Give have the, the gold well, coin. Well, you know, that's where I think like eight, eight, um, two bits, like eight bits came. They would cut up, right, the into eights. So maybe that, right, so right. that could be like, you know, your characters are cutting the gold piece into eight pieces to divide it. Okay. And that's where you get bits. Bit of, bit of gold. Bit of gold, bit of honey. Yeah, nice. I don't want that. That's nice. So what I like it, so I know what I do like about the adventures, number one, it, it is low level. I'm a big fan of low level adventures for all the reasons you yep. said. What I like about this adventure is also is that it's short. So I, look, yep. and there's a lot of long adventures that are amazing. But it is nice to have an adventure that you can run in one, two, or three sessions and not worry about it uh, lasting for months. Almost, it's almost a night session if you're really if your setup's done before you start. You can almost do this in one one play. So I, I, I think, mean, and, and 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 that's another thing I like about it is that you can do it in one play, or if you want, you could make it a lot longer. Because what what you didn't do was yeah. you didn't flesh out the trap. So this adventure, what's what's wonderful about this adventure is there's there'll be a ticking clock. Uh, and so this is very, it reminds me very much of, of uh, Daniel Collerton's Aurelian, where there's, you've sensed there's a t- ticking clock because the dark is rising and it's coming. And, and so the ticking clock in this game, you've got, what, 28 days, a lunar cycle, right, to do something, to achieve the quest. And you're going to yep. learn pretty early on that this is, you know, you've got problems. You, you want to both accomplish the quest but you're also become nervous about accomplishing the quest, and you know you 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 better finish it on time, or it's going to be really bad. If if, if you know if, if you do finish it on time, you've got other problems, and so I love this idea of the clock ticking. I think it creates some real drama to it. Yeah, and it's a, you can see from a game perspective what's gone on here is that by the virtue of being a low level group to start with with no equipment. Often, when as a DM, you set up a brilliant adventure and you just need the players to agree to go on it, and you realise that that hook can be very weak sometimes because the players know what you're doing, and and the classic thing is the players say, "Yeah, we say no," right. 
we choose not to go on this adventure. Well, in a way, this is a setup that you can't avoid because <clears throat> the only way you're going to have an adventure is by, yeah, here's this great, great stuff that you can have. So there's some fairly powerful magic items. Um, and you, you can have them for a month. And so in a way, it's a bit like pretending to be high level. It's giving the low-level characters an opportunity to have a slightly higher-level adventure. And the only catch is they've got to give the stuff back at the end. That seems to be the setup. And you can see how that works from a gaming point of view because it means you can play slightly higher-level challenges than would be the case for a normal um, low-level character. So that is quite um, – it's contrived and deliberate because that's why how I was trying to play a slightly more interesting level of uh, – situation for the players to get into uh, rather than avoiding any high hit point damage and stuff like that they've got some uh, there's there's some fairly offensive uh, offensive capability in some of the magic weapons that the magic items they're given at the start and the whole catch is this is where we're into spoiler territory we've agreed there that there's nobody left listening who is uh, worried about spoilers um and of course the whole catch is, is this whole thing is a setup because it is a contract and the real issue is the person behind the contract is trying to get the player's back to him and so the magic items are of course exactly as the players should suspect are a, a trick it's a trick isn't it yeah. right which yeah. is we should say that this has nothing to do with beholder the monster mm. right so the holder contract so mm. I, my guess is a lot of people would come down and play this and they're ready to see a beholder uh and yep and that was that was that was slightly deliberate you know because partly that is my reaction to players reading the rule books Mm, right. Yeah. Okay. If you want to know, if you want to know, then I'm gonna. Ha I'm happy to um, uh, uh, sell you that uh, that expectation. Um, it came out. I remember we had an adventure once where, where well, when I was playing a druid, where we met a dragon and one of the uh, a guy who turned out to be an accountant later in life. Um, but one of the group said, "There's this must be an illusion because there's no way that you'd put a dragon up against us at this level." And I remember thinking, yeah, that is a problem in this game. Yeah. Um, in general, I was a player in that in that party at the time, but we knew that couldn't have been a dragon. It had to be an illusion for that reason. And that was awful thing. So in a way, I've done the inverse here, is that I've, I've seeded the idea of a beholder. It is the correct use of the word. I don't have any doubt about that. Um, uh, and it's possible the players think they might encounter one because I've given the equipment to deal with it. Right, so so be it. That serves you right for reading the books and thinking ahead. That's what I feel about it. And maybe this is an opportunity to say I have used the word beholder as my art name ever since. Um, I was very clear about that. And uh, in a way, it's a very useful word because it's in the language, but it's used almost nobody uses the word outside of the idiom of beauty of the beholder now. So in a way, it was kind of clever of TSR to get it. We all know that it is... Uh, um, a licensed monster, right? So that's um, that's not a word that I would use in this context if I was talking about the monster. But it's very deliberate that I'm not, and and that's why my website and my my non my artistic name is has been beholder because of this scenario ever since. Yeah. Right, and, and and so you, what I love about the adventure is that you've got some very specific encounters which are wonderful, but you've also got these travels that the party has to take. So if you really, I think if you really wanted to do this justice and have a lot of fun, I would think that the DM probably would want to flesh out the, the travels. And I like the fact that you didn't do it and you leave it to the DM to do because, you know, because then you can create anything you want, but to, to, to sort of make it a challenge to get to places. 
and you can even see a DM looking at this can see that you could change the time scale if you wanted to run a campaign and just have this running for a year you could do it you know, you, the, the length right. of the contract which is how long the players have these uh, magic items at their disposable um, is something that you could play with definitely to fit in around a campaign yep yeah, it's a it's a mechanism, isn't it, for um, this quite it flexible. Is. And what I think is also great is, and this is is something also, of course, that is, is quite deceptive. It, at first, it sounds like your typical adventure. I, you know, you're approached by somebody who works for this wizard. He has had this lute stolen, that you know, the musical instrument, not money, right? right? The lute stolen from the lute of ages. Andy, because <laughs> yeah, you know I'm not going to have loot right. around it. Clearly in not, right? I mean, wait, who wrote this? So, um, one gold piece. He started. I had a gold yeah. piece stolen from me. So, so you're supposed to retrieve this loot, and you get these magic items, but you're under contract that you only can have them for 28 days, which is, of course, is understandable. He doesn't want you just stealing the the uh, magic items, and so you sign this contract, and so it sounds very much like your typical, hey, a quest to go get the magic well, I- item. I'd go further than that. I think it sounds it makes more sense than your typical quest. Because normally somebody says, Hey, I want this thing done, here's some money. Right. But this is a guy saying, Here, I want this thing done, here's some equipment to help you do it. That seems to me uh, it seems to me a more rational deal than adventurers normally get offered at the well, start. That's right. And almost though, and even though you know the, the penalty is if you know the the penalty here, we would call this a liquidated damages clause, essentially, which is if you breach the contract. <laughs> There is a set penalty. It's not up to the court to decide. Right. The parties have agreed. And it, and, it, and it. This is the guy who bought an accounting notebook right. for his gnome, right? right? I'm just checking the exactly. way you're describing this. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And, 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 and what happens is, is that it's, it's basically, it's a This is how we have to, this is how the language is to even turn the show on. It was a 48-page contract <laughs> I have to sign every time the episode goes Yeah, through. have you signed the, because I had an addendum. Did you sign that addendum? No, I didn't. Email I, was still, I, was still, I was still trying. Okay, you, you need to get that. So a, 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 the contract stalker, I don't think you, I don't know if you called it that in the original, but I know. In the, so you have a demon that appears, basically. Yes. Yes, I did. And that is clip art that uh, Keith okay. has found. Yep. And so, yes, yeah, so you will be, if, if you're late... And what seemed to me a little rough is if I'm even one day late and I bring it back, I still get killed. It seems like... Right? Yeah, it's, it's not a late fee. It's, no, no, it's not like you're just... Your leg is broken on day 29 and... No, no, no. I yeah. think you, you are stalked by this demon. And if you kill the demon, guess what? Another one. Of course. See that coming, right? And so, yeah. So you you <laughs> well, want to get this stuff back on time. Um, what I liked about it is, you know... I is think is if, there actual clauses that say, like, you yeah. know, the contract is... No. Because if it doesn't have a contract, I, I oh no, it does. That's yeah. the beholder contract, right? And it, it, I think it says upon pain of death. I don't think does it. Des- I don't think it describes that a demon is going to appear. You had him at contract. Yeah, that's that, that's that's a bit of a wasted narrative opportunity because the demon is quite a good bit of storytelling, but they almost certainly don't see it until the very end when it's yeah. yeah. But special ink. What yeah. I love about it too is I love these little things that that people will throw into their bench and they write them. I like where you can try to forge your name and you give like a percentage chance, I think, to get away with it, right? So, <laughs> so you, can, you know, if you're smart, because this is this is smart players should be rewarded at this. They're like, okay, I'll sign the contract and sign it, Bilbo Baggins. Yeah. Ha, 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 right? <laughs> you got, I think you have a role as to whether the, the right, this, this, this henchman guy sees uh, it and notices it. Yeah, yeah, and I think the, the ink smokes uh, and uh, disappears off the contract if you try and cheat. Yeah, right? if, I think if, it's if you're shaking like too much, yeah. right? So, yeah, if you're shaking too much, <laughs> you do it again. It's like five times. Yeah. Wow. 
But what I was, you know, if I ran this, what I think that I would do is if the, number one, this might be a little bit hard to run as part of your regular campaign, because number one, you'd be stripping your party. Mm-hmm. Of, and look, the, the days, you know, the, you know, other groups are not like days old groups. They're going to rebel. <laughs> Right. So, and, and, and secondly- they, Even at first level, even if they have like the basic stuff. I'm not like, giving up my plus right. one dagger. Right. And so- and, Oh, I cannot, surely you can set up a scenario where there's survival. Because this is classic um, sequel setup, isn't it? They're, where they survive yeah. by leaving their stuff behind. I w- yes, what, yes, what I think would be wonderful to, if, if you ran this adventure, I think this is as a one-off, it's asking for an opening scene where they're going to like be hurt badly, right? Like I can have, because right, you right. say that they go to this garden of serenity to get healing, it's been a tough adventure. It almost sort of screams out if it's a one-off, just start with them, they're fighting the hill giant right. or something and they lose all their stuff and they're jumping off of the cliff yeah, or something. Yeah. Uh, but, but they'd have to, the reason why it'd be tough with a regular campaign is do you really want to sign this? Now, maybe with one E, you're used to dying anyway. Like, oh, my odds of dying are about the yep. same anyway, whether I sign this or not. <laughs> right. But, you know, you're, you, you, if you breach this contract, the, the damage is you're going to die. Um, but so that, that makes it obviously a big twist on things. Um, I love, so some of the things that I absolutely loved about this adventure is uh, Folis, if I'm pronouncing it the way you'd intend, is Folis, the troubadour. Uh, uh, however I want, yeah. right? So you, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'd say as well. So Folis the Troubadour is, is wonderful. He's this poor guy who had, you know, was given the loot. He didn't steal the loot, right? And, and then he finds out he's been subjected to, you know, what, what, you know that, 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 yeah. that this wizard simply wants his eyes. And he's half alive, half dead. Depends whether it's night or it's day. And so if you could tell me a little bit about the inspiration of this character, because I thought he was wonderful. Uh, I wonder. I have a feeling. Uh, I, yeah, I, there's this idea. It's, it's not a radical idea. The idea that the undead are not necessarily evil, right? So the um, the 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 a key thing is if you set up this idea, which I have of the 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 antagonist here is the wizard who does these bad things to people. Well, the great thing for that from a storytelling point of view is that you have other victims. And those other victims then, if you can use them as part of the story, that makes the story seem cleverer than it really is. And um, and so here's an example of that, where I, he's he's providing the, the thing, the bad thing that's happened to him is a result of him trying to trick his way out of a contract. Um, uh, and the idea of him being half alive, half alive and half dead comes really from this idea that undead isn't... An, in, in D&D, undead is generally a negative thing, which, so it should be because it's from the, the genre of horror, but it's a bit more subtle than that, where the idea that during the, during the day and maybe with the magic that he's basically benign and then in the evening he's bad. So I think I'm just playing with that idea of making him an unreliable companion. I it reminded it reminded it. me a little bit of Gollum, you know, traveling with Gollum in Mordor. Mm, you know, mm. I wish I was that sophisticated, what, but I can't actually tell the literary. Uh, the, I'm sure there's somewhere in Greek myth that I would have that I could have lied to about there and said that's where it comes from. <laughs> well, it's it, it, he's great because during the day, if I recall correctly, he's say he yeah. he's nervous for the party. He's like, you probably don't want yeah. me along because when the sun sets, you can't trust me. You know, I'm become yeah. much more undead. Yeah. Um, in danger. Yeah, and the, 
And I've kind of set up the idea with the start, because they've got given these magic items, I've given them this idea that they can have more powerful stuff if they just go along with it. And Folas is the start of that being a little more complicated because you go, oh, yeah, he's going to be handy to have along because he's got this loot that he can do stuff with. So he's got a magic item which you can't use um, unless there's the tiny risk that the party has a talented bard which would make the DM, would suddenly this loot maybe is useful for it. But in general, what I've given here is a, a powerful weapon that only this NPC can use. And the trouble is, is that that would be very handy, but it turns out that's a bit of a trick because you've got to find a way to keep him on side. Maybe if there's a cleric in the group, you can control him during the night. So it's a bit open-ended about how this plays out, um, which I think good adventures can be, right? That was kind of the point, that uh, this, this setup doesn't play out in a single... Way. It requires it requires a fairly smart DM to run this to success in all the ways that it could go. But that's the idea of world building, isn't it? You set enough things up, and it can work. So, yes, yeah, so the, the interesting thing about him is that there's a there, there is an, a way to play this scenario where he comes along with you, but that is very difficult. Well, and and I, I want to pick up on your comment about there's many different ways that this could go because that really isn't that the fun of being a DM. I mean, when I right. DM. Yeah. I, you know, railroad, even for me, it's easier, but it's boring. You know, the, the yeah. point of the DM, like, like, I would love to see how, what, what's the party going to do here? How is this going to, almost yeah. that I'm watching it, you know, I'm a viewer of what the party is doing and, 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 and seeing the choices they make. Yeah, and there's a, there's a trick. We talked to, you talked about the, the timing on it. The fact that there is a dead deadline on it, um, obviously, is from a from the game point of view that's you're putting the players in jeopardy so that works but the other thing is which is despicable and the players probably don't see through this but from a dm uh point of view is that you set up there's a very clear deadline and what the players don't know is that deadline requires them to pass marshes where you are utterly in control as the dm as to how long it takes them to get across those marshes so you can absolutely configure it that they only arrive at the door moments before it's ready right. to the, the deadline's on so it's a trick deadline the, everyone understands there's a deadline the players don't realize that whatever they do they're not going to get there before the deadline is just about due to expire and that's another way of saying you give your dm loads of freedom because you can do whatever you want there and if they're running a bit slow well you can just make the journeys longer but if they're running fast you could in fact i think there's griffins you can there's, there's a little bit of a boost in there that if the DM needs to, you can get to the next bit quicker. Um, uh, and that's all about just making it easy for the DM to make sure that this thing only works. If This scenario fails dismally if the players are halfway along the road when the deadline expires because then it's like, well, again, <laughs> you've missed the end. Yeah, right? it's just sort of the shadow <laughs> right. demons are chasing them or whatever, or the stalker demons. Or, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so in a way, there's quite a lot in here which is about giving the, the DM the, the control to play exactly how, let the party do what they want, but you've actually got quite a lot of freedom for that to happen and still end the scenario with a storytelling ending. And you mentioned the other thing that really stuck out for me, and that was the shifting mires. So, you know, it's, it's this swamp where, you know, it's, it's their final destination. And, and what I loved about the shifting mires was that the way you describe it is, it is this swamp is itself sort of alive. Not, not just that it has living creatures, of course, in it, but the swamp, yeah. the mire itself is alive. And it takes, you've got this random roll, right, about when there's too much commotion in a few rounds, <laughs> this is just a way to shut players up, right? Yeah, right. I, did, I, I, I thought it was wonderful, right? So there's too much commotion. Even the monsters know. So if you're attacked, 
the monsters will only attack you for so long because they realize that the more commotion, the, the, this swamp, this mire is going to come alive, and there's this random roll mm. of you would love it, right? As an evil DM, right? Is that you know the ground sort of sucks you in, submerges, yeah. so, you know, deadly gas is is expelled. Uh, it's definitely pro gas. There's a lot of gas on there, and it's deadly. <laughs> so, <laughs> the um, yeah, and I think the other thing there is that by giving it agency, I'm justifying to myself why, as the DM, you can interfere with the progress of the players in that way is that, do you know, is it safe to, I think it's safe to say in the first Lord of the Rings film, um, one of the decisions that Peter Jackson made that really annoyed me, because by and large he did a very good job with a very difficult problem and I loved the first film when I came out at the end of it, I was happy with that. coming, watch. He's upset about Ah, funnily enough, Funnily enough, no, no. I don't remember Tom Bombadil at all in that movie, which made it perfect. So here we go. Bombadil, actually, now I'm old and wise, is one of the most interesting characters uh, in the world. Thank you. Thank you. Right. However, I also think it was a good editorial decision not to put him in there because it would, in the film, because it would confuse the hell out of people who aren't reflecting deeply towards the end of their life. What was he doing in there? Right. So I think it was a right decision not to have him in there. No, the thing that really bothered me is the thing that we didn't need in an otherwise excellent adaption of the book. We can talk. We're not here to talk about how he goes wrong in the second film. Let's not even go there. So the first film, in Moria or Mariah, briefly they have the stupid idea of the stairs falling down, and in those stairs, Frodo and Aragon end up in jeopardy, and they jump and are saved, and they run away, and it's a spectacular scene. But they have been put. You've put the ring bearer, Peter Jackson and Fran and the others, put the ring bearer in jeopardy on stairs. And the reason that really annoyed me as a DM is because one of the genius things about Lord of the Rings is that you don't notice it as a reader to start with. But every time the party gets attacked, the ring bearer is being targeted because the evil of the ring is drawing. I will not have. I will not have stairs being evil. That doesn't make any sense. You're breaking a brilliant thing you set up there. The Watcher goes for Frodo. The ring race go for Frodo. All the bad things happen for Frodo. The troll goes for Frodo. It's because of the power of the ring. Don't say stairs go for Frodo because stairs are not part of the device that is available to the forces of evil. So in a way, by making the uh, quagmire, uh, the, the, the marshes sentient, I've justified my interference with the timeline there. Do you see, that's quite a deep way of looking at it, but clearly that bothered me because it really, really made me angry in the film that they have, if you're going to have the ch- the stairs tumbling around like they did because you want to show off you found out a way to make it look plausible in CGI, fine, it could have been any members of the party, don't make it Frodo because you've, you've now uh, diluted a really... Um, Beautiful observation for people who care to notice that all the attacks on the party target the ring bearer. And if Arr. I recall, and if I recall correctly, you have the. Thank you, thank you for that. No, no, it's very interesting because if I recall correctly, I never would. I never put that. I'm such a passive whatever. I was just like, cool, he jumped. Yeah, that was awesome. Where's Bombadil? Yeah. If no. I recall correctly, the you know Bombadil was a ring bearer, right? Ring Bombadil was a. He holds the ring and tosses it in the air. He has possession yeah. of the ring. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. He's, he is older and and more and more interesting than that age. Right. Yeah. Right. And yeah, yeah. and let's face it, he's got Goldberry. She's pretty. That's, well, I wasn't I wasn't going to go there, oh. but yeah, it's written in the classic the classic 
sexist problem of Lord of the Rings. Well, but yeah. yeah, you know, but yeah. anybody who's got go, I mean, come on. Right. So priestess of Aphrodite. So, so the Myers attack. They prefer to attack people who have not signed the Beholder contract, if I recall correctly. Yeah, that might be possible. There's I think a DM. You wrote that. There's no I think way. You said that. Actually. No, I think you wrote that. that they actually... Do you like how he does that? I think it says this. No, you did. No, you actually wrote that. Yeah. Wow. I tell people about their lives, too. No, I'm pretty sure... That is horrible. You are a horrible person. I, I thought the Shifting Myers prefer... gentlemen of the jury, I rest my case. Yeah. Well, I hope I'm not See wrong now, but I thought that the Shifting Myers attack... Uh, yeah, that might... That sounds, like, that sounds plausible, and because really it's all part of the wizard's domain, isn't it? That's, that's how that's happened. Yeah. And we look at... We'd, this is a classic bit of old school Dungeons Dragons now that the storytelling is now interrupted whilst everybody checks their documentation. I, we call this turning and flipping. I wonder if that flipping. was added to the new one, though. I wonder if it. Oh, no, here it is. Here it is on yep. page 23 of the original. Oh, here we go. If not all. After this, I'm going to tell you uh, where you went to uh, school. I'm going to give ah. you, I'm going to fill in the background of your life because I know it better than you do. If not all the groups signed the beholder contracts, then mysteriously. Those who did not will yeah. find that they are almost singled out by the Marsh's attacks. Ah. Not creature encounters, but the Marsh's attacks. That is really interesting, isn't it? Because what I'm, what I'm anticipating there is a very smart response to the problem at the start of the scenario. Is the players going, hang on, there's clearly a trick in the contracts, but we want this loot. One of us sign it, we'll take all right. the stuff. When I say loot, we, we want all the items. Right. And obviously, a clever thing to do is to spread the jeopardy and not everyone sign right. it. Right, yeah, yeah, that's what I thought of the... Come on, I was I was clever when there I was There you young. go. Everyone's it, it, the first album is always the best. Well, wait, this is your this is this is your second album. Right. Well, the first one was the yeah. EP. It was the EP. That it was, was the, the demo. EP. It was the base, basement tapes. Yeah. Right. It was gotcha. yeah. So yeah, I switched. You see, I switched record companies. That's as well. right. You got better production. Yeah, that's right. Well, that's what. Yeah. Well, actually, well, we don't go there. Okay. I don't think the production quality is better. I think that was one of the reasons White Dwarf. I didn't get into That's White right. Dwarf. Is I think you the production went the opposite. Quality. That's right, because the production was. Worse. I went indie. That's right. I he went, went indie. I went, He's like went this indie. corporate corporate life. I can't deal with anymore. I'm I'm out. Just going stripping it all back down to basics. I love it. Well, you yeah. had one other encounter area, and that was on Thunderhead Peak, where it's Alcor, the Lightning Wizard, and um, mm. you know your concept of these wizards that have specialties was very interesting. His specialty is lightning because yeah. he only has first level spells. He's like six, like I think a six-level uh, magic user. He only has first-level like spells. Gandalf. Like Gandalf. Except right. when it comes to lightning, exactly. now exactly. he's like, he's, he, it's almost like he's a 12th-level wizard, which I thought was very interesting. Yeah, and I was really delighted that in Bryce's uh, review of it, he, he, he draws attention to that fact that these are NPCs and the player's handbook is right. for players. And that is exactly what you get when you tried the attempts that people had to put Lord of the Rings into the AD&D milieu, it just doesn't work for the, exactly this reason, right? The character, the player characters, the the, the, uh, the fellowship is clearly not player characters, right? Right, and that's I was really happy to do that because that's kind of the setup. Lord of the Rings gave you that permission to have a world where actually you do not know what the limits of magic are, but it's not it's not codified, that's for sure. And AD&D kind of with its um, with its one rule for players, one rule for everybody else. I gave, felt like it was giving permission to do that. And it, yep. Yeah, you certainly have permission, but I know a lot of players get very frustrated with yeah, good. that. Yeah, good. Kill him. Well, and that's fine, but they... Wait, they, he doesn't have... How can he do that? Right. He's not... Yeah. He can't do yeah. that. Yeah, he can't yeah. do that. Right, we, yeah, well, if you then say then with the backstory is that he didn't spend his time going on adventures, he spent his time in a library. Right. 
<laughs> you want you want to play that character so you can do this? You can do that, right? Come back in eight years. And, you know, there is that line between, and I think you you mentioned it when you have NPCs that are key to the story. Uh, you can either apply. You know, we had a game where we played online with some of our patrons, and we put in there that the uh, someone had a wand of magic missiles and they had to roll to hit. Now that is a clue for good players who would know, oh, why is the magic magic missile shit all the time? Well, that means the player who's using it, the NPC who's using it, is not a magic user. So we, you know, that's finding those things that reward players for knowing the game, but right. and then but you still need to break it every once in a while, or else you get the yep. oh it's a zombie, he's two hit dice, AC eight. They just prattle off the whole list and it loses the the magic. And so I think yep. Yep. I think yep. So you don't know. That's exactly right. And I think, I think, if I remember correctly, somewhere in the maybe in the introduction in the in the DM's guide, it basically admits that that's what humans are in the milieu. The fact that humans aren't limited to level means that you never the most dangerous person thing you can yeah. meet is a human because you don't know what the limitations that the rules have put on them. And I found that as a, an interesting and thought-provoking thing in the design of the game. And what, yeah? and what I liked about the Alcor, the Lightning Wizards, I mean, is that this struck me as the one place where you really didn't know what was going to happen. The party could, re could really go off the rails there. Totally. And when I, I first played this, of course they attacked. Oh, gosh. <laughs> because yeah. when, in when in doubt, <laughs> when in doubt. Well, at least they didn't, it sounds like at least, they, really? at least they didn't attack the fire giant. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it could get worse at the cloud giant, right? Yeah. There, I think too. Yeah. Yeah. It could, yeah. Get, it could get worse. There's, um, there's, some pretty, there's some pretty big bads there. Um, so, so again, this is kind of DM skill, isn't it? You set up the world so that you can deal with that without. Because if they kill him, if they, they then that's there's a lot that they need to find out. He needs to impart yeah. information for the next part yeah. of the story. So one of the he, it so happens when they get there, he's got dwarves who are there's some some dwarves who happen to be there, and what that is is accidentally giving him a bit a bit of. Uh, bodyguard muscle if the, if the DM needs it to stop the players completely having their way before he gets time to impart his part of the story and stop the attack. Um, it's possible that this it's possible that this happens without an attack, which is a good a better party would play that. And I think this is the one point in the story where there's a bit of a reveal and it gets interesting for them and the players realise why they've come here. And because that is not a disappointing revelation, I don't think the party feels that they've been disadvantaged by not attacking. So one of the big, in fact, I can give you a much more modern point here. I was very lucky. I went uh, last, a couple of months ago, I went to a talk by the guy who is just, uh, was the lead on Vader Immortal, which is the LucasArts uh, canonical Star Wars VR game. And he was giving a talk about how making that VR game, he'd been in the art, director on Rogue One, by the way. He's, he's quite an interesting guy. Who's Very rudely, I, I haven't got his name available. It was a super interesting talk where he was saying when you build a VR game, you have to do it differently from a game and a movie. And one of the examples of that is the first time the player encounters Darth Vader and they are doing it in a non-hostile way. He's an NPC that has information to impart. Almost everyone, when they playtest it, pokes Vader. Because what you would, wouldn't you? You'd, and so what they had Vader do was choke him out. So choke the player out. So when you do that... Vader just chokes you. But the trouble there is, because it's not part of the story, that it can't happen there. You, you can't poke him. The trouble there is they, he, the team, and he realized, your people think it's so cool to be choked out from by Vader that they keep doing it. So he realized that the game is rewarding 
bad behavior because it's more fun to be the to do the wrong thing and get punished for it and survive than it is to do the right thing so in a way the fact that there is a negotiable non-combat non-adventurous thing that can happen at thunder peak is a bit risky from a storytelling point of view but i think the reveal is useful enough that players don't feel cheated so that's a bit of in-depth me thinking that I was thinking about how that needs to be handled because otherwise the idea that there are encounters you can have on the journey to the mountain to the peak means you can have otherwise you've not rolled any dice Where, where's the adventure you know, if it's just walking gets me information walking gets me information where's the adventure so you have to be careful about setting up scenarios where there isn't a fight so in a way maybe the best thing is that there's a bit of a fight they get owned by the wizard and then they discover, because he's quite benign, they discover the next bit of the adventure. I think that's probably the best way this can play out. But it can play out almost any way apart from them killing him outright. And how, and because then you... I was just saying, and how, mm. how did it play out? So you said you ran this, what, three or four times? I remember, I, I remember them having a bit of a fight and maybe one of the dwarves gets killed and then it's like there's the, the wizard can kind of contain it by throwing some heavy spells around. Um, I don't remember a player dying because I don't... I honestly don't think I remember any players dying, but maybe I've just blanked that out from my mind. Um, and uh, and then the wizard goes, you know, explains, it says, well, you know, what are you here for? And when they say that they're here for the loot, then that's where the exposition, because this is all what this is about, right, in storytelling. This is the way the exposition must happen. And so I think that's what happened, is you use the wizard's powerful spells to contain the situation when it gets out of hand, which is when they've could, attacked. Can I ask you, so so Alcor, the lightning wizard, he's the one that says you may want to go to the uh, the two of the tomb where the minstrel king is. Yeah. Why, yeah. you know, so if they think the troubadour has it, he could be anywhere. So the one question I had was, yeah. is, is, is the idea that, you know, who knows? Because if they, they yeah. know the loot's out and about, then I would have thought yep. that maybe, I would think you might have a hard time convincing the party to go to the Grey Vale since it's gone. It's because it's 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 the only thing they've got, right? Is It's the only lead that is available, I think. Because this is always the problem with D&D. They go, do you know what? No, we're right. not going there because he'll have gone. He'll have gone. What we'll do, we'll cruise around making as much. Because one, one response to this is ignore the story, maximize the use of the magic items you've got to tool up in anticipation of dealing with what's going to happen at the right. end. If, if, they, if they, there is a way, there is an approach where the party says, I don't want to do this. So maybe, maybe that's a bit risky. But I think that if there were a way, to find out where the loot was, they wouldn't go to that next encounter. And that is basically Google, right? But there isn't a Google unless they find a seer, I guess. But yeah, I think it's really, you have one clue. That's where you go next. Right. I think that's the setup here. Yeah, it's a, it's a, good, it's a weakness. Well, yeah. no, and, and, and I, uh, I, I think it's the kind of, of issue that a good DM, you'll, you'll figure out a way, right? And, and, and you know what the nice thing about it now yeah. is too with parties, is they, they tend to get it. I mean, if they understand, they understand yeah. it's a written adventure, and if the, the wizard yeah. is saying, maybe you should check the gray veil, maybe they should check yeah. the gray veil. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. And the, the other thing is the DM, is it only takes one member of the party to think they've had the idea that you convince the whole party right. that that is the idea. If, you, if you're smart, you let the players think they thought of it themselves, whereas quite often what, you, what really happened is one of the players in the party thought of it, and then you can trick the players into thinking they all right. thought of it. Right, right. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. Well, <laughs> yeah. So it is, it's just... It, it, is it's, that the grog line? No, I don't think that's the grog line. It is, it, 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 it's a wonderful <laughs> adventure, um, and I really do encourage listeners... To, to, to look it up, to, to get it. So you don't, 
there's an obvious weakness to it. Is it's got a really feeble ending, um, and the feeble ending is basically Lizard Man. And in a way, in a way, I think if it was written again, you'd probably want to do a better boss level ending. Because you set up, I've set up a boss level ending which actually has a number of fairly feeble endings. So I, was, I, I think that's the biggest weakness of it. I think the story is great. It, do, it does work as a scenario because of the things that we've discussed. And actually, maybe it's a little bit disappointing at the end for the players. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't it's interesting. Uh, we, we don't know. You didn't get unfortunately get. A no, I didn't have a chance. Or I think I think perhaps the coronavirus mm. people were scared away, and so my game didn't take. Um, unfortunately. <laughs> so, but if I do run it, and, I, and I'd certainly want to. Um, um, you know, I, I can let you know. I mean, I, I don't know. You've run it multiple times, and so I don't know if that was the sense sense you had. I mean, we had we had Dan Collerton on here, and of course, you know, Aurelian has you know a, a truly kind of epic ending, yes. and he talked yeah. about the epic ending. I mean, my sense when I read this was that the the ending could be epic because you never know what's going to happen. I mean, the, the way I sort of this yeah. adventure to me seems more it, it, it has a bit of a railroad toot of course i mean it, it sort of has to if it is a published module it's not a sandbox yep. so it could be but but it seemed to me like i you know i just wouldn't know what would happen i mean they're, they're heading in here it's a trap but they're probably wise to it and and my sense is the excitement of the ending is you just don't know what's going to happen you, yep. you know it when, when, when yep. you have the big boss ending, you know how it's going to end, and maybe it's epic for the players, but I don't know. It didn't bother yep. me. I mean, when you ran it, yep. did, did, were there different endings? Yeah. Um, well, one of the things is that there's, it's easy for this to run without much action happening, and so the action is all in this setup at the end. So in a way, it felt it's almost like a barroom brawl, but it's happening in a so it's not a bar and brawl, but nonetheless, it's basically a fairly small number of characters having a fight where you know some of the limitations. And one of the interesting limitations is at what point you can... The, the magic weapons you've got that give you power, the limitation here is that the antagonist, your enemy, knows exactly what those powers are. Mm -hmm. So that, that, that's, that's an interesting scenario, interesting situation for the players to try to think about tactically and strategically. So, yeah, I think it could... In a way, the, the open-endedness of the way that lots of this work includes, in this scenario, the boss-level fight at the end, and maybe that should be more staged. Listen, uh, I don't know. I don't know. It, it worked out okay. Um, uh, I, I feel that my memory of running it as a scenario was that the story was more fun than the than the spectacular ending. People survive. People. I think I've played it once where they where they didn't succeed. Where, and that was a, it wasn't a campaign it was a scenario and the players don't uh, didn't didn't win yeah they die they oh, die so, no they they get in they lose the they fight because they, they they are they are for if they relinquish the magic items I think they go in the box you can't open the box again once they're, they're actually weak players and lizard men are fairly yeah. powerful so um so it depends what attrition you've put them through before that fight starts I think. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Mm. Yeah. So it, it's I encourage our listeners to get it as we noted it is free. Thank you to Dave for making it free of charge. So it is free of charge on drive through RPG. It's the beholder contracts and it's been redone. But the great thing about it is it is an approved version but it is basically you're playing the adventure, right. the original adventure. It's, it's so if, if you're looking for old school this will fit the bill, um, it, and uh, it, 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 I think it's, it's just a, a wonderful adventure with a lot of interesting characters, and I can certainly see it as part of a campaign, too, because I can see where these wizards and even maybe uh, the troubadour makes a return 
and and the heart and the loot is wonderful uh, because you give a lot of discretion to the DM to flesh out the details mm. of the loot, so you can have a very interesting artifact floating around as well. Yeah, and there's the, the other thing is presumably there's a whole bunch of stuff that can. The great thing about a scenario like this is that it's a great jumping off point for the next things because you have discovered um, uh, the guys treasury could have a load of useful stuff that could be a link through to the next adventure and because he's a bit of an information gatherer maybe there are clues and hints for the next um there's political opportunity because he can see the fact that he's collected views of things that, that people have seen that you can't normally see maybe there's a logbook or something that he's got if you needed to seed um information for the next adventure i think it's it's fairly easy to link on to this from here so as just well. to give them the big spoiler so i go ahead so people yeah. are, I might as well do it at this point, right? Is well, unless, they're gonna, unless you're going to run it as our patron campaign. So that's... So should I stay quiet? No, it's too late. It's too late? Yeah. As well, so this, we so the much. wizard wants... He wants the, so, so, so scrying is his specialty, and he wants the, he wants the eyeballs, because any eyeballs that he gets, he can see what those eyes have seen. And so he sends you to this place in uh, the Lightning Wizard, uh, the, the, uh, the Belvedere, to, to look out and view all of the lands. It's a wonderful view. See for, for miles and miles and miles. And he wants to make sure you come back within 28 days because he doesn't really care. But if I recall correctly, he's got like, he's got a closet full of magic items, right? That he's... Yeah, so, so the idea, this is the logical extreme where you think if you start with the idea that a wizard can see what you've seen and you think, well, what you'd, what you'd want is you'd surround yourself with people who'd seen beautiful things. Right, because then you want to look at something beautiful. You look at it, you you get you can, but it gets quite costly maintaining that library of people who've seen useful things. So that's why it becomes grotesque and a horror thing, where you say actually, Willie needs the right. eyes. So right. yeah, that that was the, that's the simple logic behind the the the, the way that story developed. Yep. And he sells um, the information. Right? Uh, so he he's got the eyes. If he's got the eyes, he's got information. In fact, in fact, I can tell you a terrible thing that only old people will care about. But actually, this whole thing started. <laughs> I shouldn't really tell you the whole thing started because of a Chris the Berg song which has a lyric in it which says come to me turn to me give me your eyes that was how this was started and you're like that's an adventure <laughs> that's an adventure right there that's right. yeah I'm not sure I wanted to admit to listening to Chris the Berg songs but it was a long time right. ago that's okay. I don't even know who that is. Yeah, I'm not sure. Good. He's, He's Irish. Irish. He lived in a castle in Ireland. Well, I've just done there that. There you go. There you go. Did not know that in your research? I missed that. This is the first now, time he revealed this? Well, we're uncovering stuff. That's what that's, we do that's here. That's what we do here. We, there's uncovering. Yeah. You uh, could say that. So, so that idea of accumulating a library of eyes, of course it's grotesque, which is part of the fantasy grotesque horror uh, thing, but I don't, I don't dwell on that too much because it's rather unpleasant. Um, and there, of course, if you're familiar with Equus, uh, a play which involves his eyes getting put out. That is almost certainly. I saw that where, on Broadway. Actually, my right, wife was a big Dan right. Radcliffe fan, and yeah, I. Right, because he played it. Yes, and what a great thing for him to do after everyone thinking that he's cutesy Harry Potter. Well, look, Equus is quite an uncomfortable thing. Yeah, yeah, I did. I got to tell you, I was not right. a fan of the of the play. It's it's very it's disturbing, and right. yeah. Right. So you can see there's an eyeless horse, right? Folas and the horse, and the yeah. exchange of the eyes is Equus. Yes. So, Tears of blood. Mm. Yep. So, yep. Uh, well, so, 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 Dave, you are maybe you could talk a little bit about the Beholder Project, the things that you're doing now, because you've obviously been doing things for the past thirty years. And uh, I, I'm, I'm happy not to, because simply because this is all about this rather wonderful thing that it was thirty years ago. But yeah, I I have continued 
uh, I continued as Beholder. It was was the name that I did my little art project on, and I've done a number of things. Which uh, uh, there's a website, and that has included some books. And one of the books, one of the set of books, was a little complicated. It was the Not Shop Man, um, which has been reviewed in a D and D kind of way as well, because my D&D influence is obvious because one of the Not Shot Man books has a Thieves Guild in it, which I had a lot of fun with. Um, and it's any, anyone familiar with D&D realizes what's going on in there, that that's uh, very much me playing with that. Um, but that, these, these are art projects. I became interested in storytelling that can't quite happen on paper. And this, which is various ways of digital. And there are some very short examples on my website, which is now beholder.uk. I should mention I got beholder.co.uk, the domain, before you had to pay for domain names. Wow. Because I was a nerd in the 80s. So um, actually, when the web started happening, um, I had a slightly better view of what was going on than perhaps non-technical people and you look back on it and think maybe I should have gone through the dictionary and got a few other domains as well <laughs> to be sure well but um, anyway uh, so Beholder has been online since 1995 um, and there is a little I did the first webcomic in the UK and the key thing about that was that it, you click on the picture and the character's text comes up so it's slightly interactive and that is a story called Concuspador and the Grand Wizard of Many Things which is uh set in a kind of fantasy world it's a bit silly and it's turned out to be very prescient um, and it's the idea that the internet works by um, pipes and mirrors and holding up ASCII cards spelling out letters so it's basically the internet done in a very almost the kind, the kind of thing Terry Pratchett would have done better um, had he looked into that um, so it's uh, and that's that was 95 when that went live on beholder.co.uk and it's still there you can see how it looked in the olden days um, uh, and then I got, um, on the basis that it was very unusual to be doing something online back in those days, um, I got a job to do something similar. And I've done an online project called Planetarium, which has been live since 1999. And it's a slightly fantasy thing, um, a puzzle story in 12 weekly installments. So if you log into it now, you can see the first episode and it takes you 12 weeks to read. And at the end of the 12th week, you can't answer anymore. You don't need to answer any of the puzzles to progress. It's a story. Um, and at the end of the 12th week, it freezes your, your, you can't enter any more solutions. It shows you all the answers. And there's a forum that you can say hello to other people who've got to the end of the story. And in the, in the end of the 13th week, it deletes your account. And this has been running f since 1999 wow. online. And I'm, I'm very pleased with that. It turns out there are some people who come back and do it every few years spend 12 weeks of their life going through just to see if anyone replied to their messages. So it's rather lovely, and that's still there. Um, and uh, like I said, a few book projects as well, of which the most the most Dungeons & Dragons informed one is probably the Not Shot Man, which is the idea of um, knots of fate being tied. Um, and the, there's a shop that sells knots that the adults go into and think they, the, the guy there is selling, the Not Shot Man is selling rope. But he's not, he's selling knots. And kids maybe notice that actually if I want to join two things together, here's a guy who can tie them and he can tie knots of fate. So adventures happen because of that. So, And the interesting thing about that, which might or might not, I don't think it's a D&D &D thing particularly, but um, there are four stories, Earth, Air, Fire and Water. You can read them in any order. There are four books and they're tied by over 10 foot of rope. Um, uh, using a special knot because the four roots of the protagonists on the maps actually form a knot 
and that is the knot that the four books are physically tied together when you buy the set of books. So it's a very, it was a special edition. I did 200, I've still got some left. Very beautiful art project. Um, but that is just, uh, that's the kind of stuff that I was doing. And in now and again, I come out of that to earn money in the real world and have done some interesting computing y stuff, um, but nothing in gaming. Uh, and right now, I'm working at the university. I help uh, computer science students learn computer science up at the uh, rather rather beautiful Royal Holloway University of London, um, which is where I did my degree all those years ago at the time that this came out. So I, there's a full circle gone on there that I'm now back as a teaching fellow helping helping the students. The difference is I did my degree for free because when I did my degree in the 80s, um, it was free education. And now the students in the UK have to pay quite a lot of money for it. So I'm giving back by going back and helping them. Wonderful. So that's what I do. All right. Well, well, thank you so much. Oh, that was great. It's been a pleasure. I appreciate your time today. Hope you enjoyed it as well. It's been a a lot of fun because it's such ancient ancient history. But as you can tell, it doesn't feel long ago to me because I think there's something about these vicarious memories. In fact, I would say that if I, as an old man now, when I look back, the thing that surprises me most is that I was convinced as a young man that Dungeons Dragons or something like it, role-playing games, would be a normal part of education because it was so obviously the thing that kept me on I, the, I didn't quite get the grades to get into university, but I, the, the thing that kept me, uh, my education, was D&D. So it was obvious that something like it would become mainstream education. And I now realize, no, it worked for me, maybe it wouldn't work for anyone. But I do think it's a bit odd that non-competitive role-playing games aren't a much more common thing in every teacher's arsenal. I, I think that's so where it's there, going, though. I definitely thing. see, uh, at, at least here in the States, I assume... Um, you know, people our age and slightly younger, they want to give back and they're setting up shops in, in libraries and gaming, basically open tables at just, um, yeah. just to get the So maybe, it's, maybe it's happening with board games that uh, seem to be more of a connection than role-playing games, but maybe that's because it's more visual and I, I notice when people are doing when they get together in the cafes that now run board game nights and stuff, but maybe it's because the D&D is harder to spot when it's playing. You know, we have the, the the dominant chain here is, of course, Games Workshop doing Warhammer, which is radically different. And we've got, I know, I've got my little mug here to show that I'm a, that that's the Orc Nest mug. Orc, Orc's Nest is, I think, the only independent role-playing shop in London because the, the basically Games Workshop won, dominated that. So, um, but now that, like you say, the independent uh, game-playing places coming out on cafes and things like that, um, Maybe role-playing is happening there, and I'm not seeing it. You're right. And then the oh. second part, um, people are using it in uh, trauma reduction and uh, you know, helping people who are either on the spectrum or have had traumatic in, to allow them to role-play uh, and get through you know, social anxiety. So it's, it's right. becoming a, a therapy now. How pervasive it is, don't know that, but there's certainly there are podcasts yep. dedicated to it. So... And like you, you that that seeding of that creative uh, energy carried you in your career. You know, we see that with all these yep. folks who are creatives who have, you know, say this type of uh, hobby uh, propelled them into the into the things they have. So, you assume success will build on success, and uh, you know the next generation hopefully will be. I, I'm glad my son, my youngest son, who's 17. 
you know, his edition, he plays with me, first edition, but him and his friends, they play fifth edition, which is good. They need their own edition. <laughs> Right. Bless them. Yeah, they should. You should make them go back to the early days where you did one d six damage when you hit something. I think it's good to it's good to see where it came from because that's all you need to tell a good story. That is the that's the bottom line on this. Well, yeah. There are video games that have that heart. You know, it's really that style of. Uh, there's a game called Dark Souls, which some of them play, which is very brutal. You know, it's you die a lot of times, and there are people who like that. They're, they're, and if you die, you have to start over. Yeah. So they, they there's some who you like it. You have to be it. careful. With, one of the things which actually my Turkish friend was mentioning as well when he was remembering playing, one of the things which doesn't happen in this is the idea that you might have been working on a character for six months and then you die. That's a very different experience from playing a video game with it's hard to get right. through, right? Exactly. The hours and hours of it. I think friends, some friendships have probably been lost. Many friendships have been lost oh. over the years because of the Absolutely. <laughs> that Absolutely. Well, again, thank you for your time today, Dave. It was wonderful. Thank you very uh, much. It's been thank great you. to talk to you. Have a happy, happy, happy St. Patrick's Day. Do, thank well. you. I think we have under, <laughs> we've, we've underdone that. Do, are you on uh, social media if people want to reach out to you? Um, uh, I'm on... My website has been uh, uh, it's uk. Is a, there's a contact form? There's a there's an email address on that. I w I'm I am on Twitter, but I'm a bit I'm a bit low touch. Uh, I am a technical person, so I have technical reasons to hate Facebook uh, that go beyond just the social reasons for not being involved in that. Um, and I did run an Instagram project where one day a week of every day for a while I was putting archive stuff up so I am on Instagram as Beholder Stories although nothing's happening on there but at least you can see some of the stuff that I used okay. to do some of which is Dungeons and Dragons well, thank yeah but Beholder.uk the website is the place wonderful well we appreciate your time again thanks so much yeah. and we'll talk to you later then thanks Dave thanks for reaching out it was super thank, fun right, bye. Here. We agree. bye bye now well, that was great oh that was great this is Big Publishing Production Oh, what's the show?